This is TV Podcast Industries, where we're talking about The Witcher, episodes one to four. Welcome to 2020, fellow Witchers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we're watching The Witchers, episode one to four. I am one of your hosts, Chris, and I am joined by two fellow Witchers, the men of the coin, men, monster hunters extraordinaire. Boys, introduce yourselves to our fellow Witchers. Hello there, fellow Witchers. I am one of your hosts, John. I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Yes, from Watchers on Watchmen to Witchers on The Witcher. I like it. Yes. <laughs> there's a there's a symmetry about it. There is, yeah. Yes, very soon we're going to be doing the uh, the Wellingtons, the Weight Watchers. Um, I, I'm I'm pretty sure like any other W's we can figure out over time. Well, as it's January, I'm definitely going to need to do the Weight Watchers. To be honest, <laughs> absolutely. And I am of course filled with man flu. So uh, apologies <laughs> for the um, heavy nasal version of my voice. <laughs> That's all right, John. We're used to it. <laughs> I know. This has been like constant battle since about December. I know, I know. But don't worry, it'll go It'll go pretty soon. Uh, fellow Witchers, we're here with The Witcher. We did want to record this when the show came out on the 20th of December last year, but as you probably know if you've been following us in TV Podcast Industries, we were covering The Watchmen almost up until Christmas, uh, and then we went off and had a break for a couple of weeks, so we didn't get the chance to do um, the Witcher back then. What we're doing with this episode is we're going to split The Witcher into two parts, uh, episodes one to four and episodes five to eight. Part of the reason for that was time, as I, as I mentioned. The other reason, if you've watched the episodes, the other reason is it only starts to really make sense as a series by episode four, I think. And it gives you a, a big kind of overview of the show by looking at episode four back through to episode one. I think it helps with the way the show's structured. Yeah, definitely. Uh, me was confused, uh, <laughs> for sure. Um, but... I think, uh, yeah, it, it starts to at least make a little more sense. And certainly you get an idea of timelines a bit better mm-hmm. by episode four. And just to put it out there, I have not read the books and I have not played the, the video game. Mm-hmm. So coming to this uh, fantasy world absolutely afresh um, and, you know, just off the top bat, um even though I didn't understand it, even though I was trying to learn all these names, all these people, wondering when sort of the, the, the three main arcs were going to come together, um, it was very intriguing. Um, so it certainly uh, kept my interest, mm-hmm. even though it was only really in episode four where things started maybe to uh, gel a bit in my own mind. And that's a really good point to throw it over to you, Chris, because I know you're the fan of The Witcher. You're the one that's been asking to do this show, really. So uh, what's your experience of The Witcher? So uh, I'm enjoying this. I'm enjoying this a lot. Um, I think you're both really correct. By episode four, it is starting to make sense. My history with The Witcher is I started on the video games. Okay. Um, So I was first introduced via CD Projekt Red. Mm -hmm. um, And then... By the end of The Witcher 3, The Wild Hunt, which is a one of the biggest games um, 
it's almost Skyrim level. It's a hundred plus hour game mm-hmm. where the side quests are sometimes better than the main story. Um, it's a action RPG. Mm-hmm. Um, it is across every platform. Uh, it is very cheap and it is very worthwhile the money. Um, I got into that. I went back and played two after playing three. Okay. Um, and then actually, Went, hmm, I really enjoy this. And I went into the, the books. Right. Um, first actually going into the graphic novels, uh, checking out the actual, uh, image comics. Oh, right. Uh, which are, uh, very s- reminiscent of, even the art style is reminiscent of Hellboy, Mike Magnolia. Um, uh, so the art style is that kind of square jaw, kind of Hellboy, kind of, uh, the the bureau uh paranormal investigation kind of style um but set in the witch universe so truly multimedia really for the witcher as far as i was aware honestly i only ever heard of the books and then of the games and i've never played the games i've been criticized for, for that by one of my best friends uh, the other day going how could you not have played these games i'm a big gamer as some of our listeners will know uh, i've mentioned it quite a few times on here but we've never played the witcher it's on PS4 right now for 15 quid for the Game of the Year edition, which is apparently the one that has everything in it for 15 yep. quid for a week. So uh, we picked it up yesterday. We've downloaded Yay. it. We will probably be playing it after we finish the podcast. Uh, as you mentioned there, Chris, it's made by the company CG Project Red, who are, are the developers of the game and probably a very well-known developer to anybody who is a gamer. Um, yep. But I suppose importantly here before we go into any spoilers for the show it is episodes one to four that we're covering we're not going to spoil anything in the future because well none of us have seen uh, episodes five to eight um but we will be spoiling from here on out we will be spoiling everything up to episode four so if you haven't watched up to episode four make sure you head off watch the four episodes and come back and i will say some of the initial criticisms i probably had of the episodes when i was watching it first kind of were resolved by episode four um and i think that's acceptable when you have a show that's all dropped when eight episodes come out in one day um it's kind of acceptable to say right you're not going to get all your questions answered in episode one by the end of the eight episodes if you watch them that way you'll you'll see our full story i suppose so um so i did have some criticisms as the as the first episode came out i kind of went off this looks like a standard fantasy show and then after a couple of episodes i think it kind of settled into its groove i suppose my initial take what's your initial take on it john um my initial take on it is that it you know i I've really enjoyed it. I think it's been really intriguing. It was, um, my main thing was just trying to understand how all these people related to one another. Because I I think they're fairly distinct in the first four episodes. Obviously, there's not much crossover. And then by episode four, you you get two, at least two of the parties um, coming together and you realize it's at a different time. And I think that the one thing I read about that is that the books follow Geralt um, it's from his point of view always. Mm. Um, so in order to get these th- three main characters from the books, both Geralt, also Ciri, uh, the young princess, and Yennefer, the, the mage, uh, you know, they, they had to bring their different storylines uh, into these first four episodes. Right. And so um, whilst all the character uh timelines are chronological from what i understood uh from the piece that i read i think it was in variety mm-hmm. uh because i i wanted to understand the timelines after episode four um they are not chronological 
on the screen. They are happening at different times as we see them from episode one right. through to um, episode four, mm-hmm. uh, as we are introduced to Yennefer, Siri, and, and Geralt. So, mm-hmm. um, but I've really enjoyed it, and I, I think as well with fantasy novels your world building um, and you have to build that world. And I know there's been some criticism um, around some of that world building, but again, I think a bit like you, uh, Derek, certainly by episode four, I I felt that there were some really good elements that were were coming out. And and plus I think it looks fantastic. Dare I say it magical. Mm -hmm. Um, And it certainly, uh, the fight sequences that we've seen um, and, and the locations uh, have been just really, really good. And last one before we kick into it, Chris, what's your initial, anything else you want to add to the initial impact of the show or the initial setup of the show? Yeah, um, I, I think it's been given a bit of um I think The Witcher has faced an, a slight backlash hmm. from Game of Thrones, the last season. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of people have felt burned. Either you either agree or disagree with that. I uh, disagree. Last season. <laughs> um, and I think there is now a slight um, fantasy world. Hatred's too strong a word. Wariness. Wariness is probably, I think, is the, the key. Right. Because this does remind me of season one of, uh, to, to so far, it reminds me of season one of Game of Thrones. Oh, really? Where, because you're you're thrown into a world with a lot of not given you're not given a lot of answers you're not given a lot of backstory within the first couple of episodes right. I, I am assuming we'll have a lot more backstory by the end of the season one and uh, we know there has been a season two agreed uh, and it's in pre-production already yeah filming um, started yesterday apparently according to henry cavill yeah and um, i do think it's a bit of an uphill struggle isn't it with with game of thrones because it was the biggest show in the entire world even to the end to the final season people watched it up until the end obviously and you always will lose people and people will be again for and against it by the end of the season of that show but it is a massive uphill battle if you think back to season one of that show it dropped to very little kind of response and then started getting picked up by people the budget was very low it was very Mm -hmm. much focused on people talking in rooms talking about the world and by season three the budget was massive on that show the kind of battles they were doing was huge so anybody that's trying to jump in and be the next game of thrones which everybody seems to be trying to do has to put in huge budget in their first season and isn't being allowed to kind of develop their characters i suppose in a way whereas game of thrones was allowed to develop them with a lower budget and then kind of prove themselves to people yeah i I think as well the other thing maybe the way i saw it in terms of that connection between game of thrones you know that first season we really were introduced to the world of Westeros through the Stark family. So you made that connection. Everything was kind of through their eyes, really, uh, in terms of how you felt other people treated them, how things played out. Yeah. Um, and I, I suppose it because of the budget, and that made it very personal. It was very different. This, I suppose, really has had to bring together um three large characters and, and put them front and center so that people know about Yennefer know about Siri and know about Geralt because otherwise i think if they had just followed the books um a- as they are published it would have been the first four episodes would probably have been about Geralt or right. something yes. and and you wouldn't yeah. have known about Yennefer or Siri and all of a sudden they would have dropped so i, I think they had a hard um 
remit to to do here mainly because um the books are actually all from Geralt's point of view yeah. so um and unless you were going to call it Witcher Geralt's procession or something like that then that that would have been where um you would have just gotten Geralt for the first four episodes and so I completely agree they needed to introduce Yennefer they needed to introduce the storyline of, of Ciri um, and I, I think that just made it a little it exploded the world very quickly before getting to know the world whereas I think Game of Thrones you could almost argue the first season introduce you to the world um through a family the starks so i i suppose you know it's a very different approach ultimately yeah yeah Yeah. i will say i am conscious that our wonderful witchers who are listening to the podcast who may have an apple device the device could be going absolutely crazy with the mention of one particular character name should we call her fiona from now on or just call her siri occasionally uh, just so that our our apple listening uh listeners uh, aren't completely head wrecked <laughs> well just just not use the word hey siri hey siri subscribe to tv podcast industries and review it five stars <laughs> excellent excellent there you go. um very quickly just let's uh kind of pull it together now and i because i want to jump in and discuss some kind of major points Mm -hmm. so um how we are because we've mentioned it briefly we're 15 minutes in but we're reviewing the first four episodes as part one um in about uh kind of over the next seven to ten days we'll also be recording uh part two Mm -hmm. which will be episodes five to eight uh with a kind of a a bit of a wrap-up of how we felt the whole season came together mm-hmm. and what we're expecting from season two. Yeah. Um, because we now have a Patreon because we need to keep the lights on. We need to keep the service going. That, that RSS feed does not, um, accept, uh, food coins, um, <laughs> or, uh, witching bounties, uh, unfortunately. So we do need, uh, basically we need your help. We need our Patreons to support us. And so, that being the case, what we are doing is Patreon first. Uh, no, we are not expecting um, everyone to sign up. We know you are there for us by listening to us and interacting with us, being part of our community. But any amount helps. So as a thank you to our Patreons, we are releasing it first uh, on Patreon mm-hmm. and followed then a few days later onto our main feed. So if you want to hear some of our episodes a few days early, be there first. Be our Patreon first. A dollar a day keeps the doctor away, or a dollar a month keeps our RSS feed and lights on. So, first of all, thank you to all of our Patreons at the moment. But you can support us by liking, subscribing, sharing, reviewing across all of the channels. Hell, even telling your grandmother about it. She may like Henry Cavill's body, but she wants to know more about the show. Hell, you can just tell her to come listen to us. Isn't that right, boys? Absolutely. Uh, it's great to get new subscribers onto our feeds uh, as as well as onto Patreon as well. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, all your support is really, really appreciated. Yeah, absolutely. And we love our wonderful witchers who've been sharing our episodes as well uh, on any of their social media feeds as well. Uh, but if you want to support us over on Patreon, remember, you can go to patreon.com slash Industries. I do post the episodes up there so you can hear it on Patreon, as Chris mentioned or you can just wait for it on the main feed uh, when it comes out as well absolutely 
And you can rate us, leave a review on any witching or non-witching podcast catcher of your choice. If you would like to send feedback on The Witcher Season 1 as a whole, you can pop over to our website, tvpodcastunity.com, leave us a voicemail, um, and you will basically play it out on the uh, part 2 of our Witcher in review. Or you can... Um, Send us email to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com and we'll do it there. Don't forget as well, we always post up spoiler posts on our group over on facebook.com slash group slash tvpodcastindustries. So we've had quite an interactive uh, group there right now where people are discussing season one or at least the first four episodes of The Witcher. So make sure you join us over there as well and post your thoughts and we'll discuss more of them at the end of part two so gentlemen we very quickly discussed uh, our history with the witcher so we're going to jump into some episode details derek do you want to take away with the writing and directors for these first four episodes absolutely yes uh, these are all based on the books by andres sepskowski um the books were the main inspiration for the show uh, they have not taken anything from the games obviously the games are based off the books as well uh, but lauren schmidt who's the showrunner for the show um she is based it all on the books and and reordered them there so if you want to know more about the characters it's definitely the books that you would probably go back to um lauren schmidt the showrunner we've talked about her many times before on the podcast because she was heavily involved in daredevil and some of the other defenders shows that we have covered on Defenders TV Podcast and TV Podcast Industries over the last five years. Uh, She wrote five episodes of the Defenders TV show. There was only eight on there. So uh, so that's quite a significant (laughs) contribution to that show. And she also wrote three episodes of season two of Daredevil as well. Um, She has been involved in the Umbrella Academy, which we talked about a little bit on our 2019 recap uh, episode a couple of weeks ago. Um, so she's been heavily involved in lots of shows that we've been that we've been covering and getting the role as showrunner for this massive series. Quite a big, uh, quite a big jump. Yeah, definitely. Really pleased for her actually. Um, and it's good to to see uh, you know friends from other shows uh, being rewarded uh, with such a, a big property uh, yeah. with huge expectation. Absolutely. She's also the writer for the first episode of uh, of the series. And obviously, as showrunner of the show, she has been sitting in with every other episode as well and, and giving her guidance to everybody else. But uh, she gets the main credit for the writing of the first episode. Uh, the director for the first episode is Alex Sarkarov. Uh, he directed three episodes of this series. He is a cinematographer and director known for Game of Thrones, uh, Ozark and House of Cards. So definitely worked in the big studios with Netflix and HBO before. And it's nice to know that somebody's coming over from the Game of Thrones world to add their directing style into The Witcher as well. Yeah. Um, for for me, I'm, I'm really happy with the the choice of the writer. Or Lauren, for example, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. She earned her bona fides with the West Wing and the Justice to, in terms of characters. We, she really has shown uh, Netflix, in my opinion, that she can deliver on these shows. Um, and now working up to where she is now, which is The Witcher season one and season two, and really. Pulling in the, the the character development from uh, with some of that supernatural as well um, is really great. Alec, for example, I'm so happy he came in on episode one too because, as I said, pulling that inspiration from Game of Thrones is needed. But at the same point, the House of Cards, the West Wing, kind of between him and Lauren, pulling in for that political intrigue that we will be getting kind of 
throughout the season. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And um, I will give a high recommendation to following Lauren Schmidt over on Twitter as well. She's very, very funny about the, her idea of creating The Witcher because she's a big, big fan. And she basically just sat in a cabin for a couple of months trying to break the story into something that she could deliver to Netflix uh, before she went to the writer's room. And she's very interesting talking about working with the writers. Um, she will absolutely, or she has at least answered a bunch of questions from, I guess, fans and people who have uh, critiques about The Witcher. Um, she's been very open about the reasons she made particular decisions for the series that are different to the books and different to the games. So uh, she's fascinating to follow on Twitter. Definitely go and check her out. Uh, John, yes. do you want to give us a quick overview of the first episode of the, of the show, uh, The End's Beginning? Sure. Hostile townsfolk and a cunning mage greets Geralt in the town of Blaviken. Ciri finds her royal world upended when Nilfgaard sets its sights on Sintra. A massive opener episode, really, because as you say, as you said earlier on, John, um, this is about really introducing loads of different characters and species and uh, loads of different factions within this world. And I'm really not surprised by anybody who said they got to the end of the episode and went, what? What's going on here? I like the fights, but I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, I thought there were great visuals. Um mm-hmm. In this episode, you know, in, in terms of the the city, uh, the palace of Sintra, and the attack by Nilfgaard, uh, plus the whole thing in, in um, Blaviken as well, that that kind of really washed out. Sort of, you know, you do get the sense of rain, mud, uh, and it being fairly grey yeah. uh, in Blaviken. Really uh, nice visuals here. Mm-hmm. I was so happy at how they did this, like the opening shots with Geralt fighting the monster really gives you an understanding of what, what this world is. But at the same time, it plows you with information, like, and sometimes not in a good way. Mm -hmm. Um, my wife literally turned around to me and went, huh? What? What was that word? (laughs) Like literally Blaviken, Nilfgaard, Sintra, like, they're not like Westeros where they're kind of used. Everyone's used to those words now. This is back. We're back to the beginning where exactly. everyone's like, Nilfgaard, what the, what the. And I don't really know whether that's a bad complaint that I don't know what's going on after the first 60 minutes of a, of a show, you know? Absolutely. There's eight episodes there. Check them all out, I suppose. Um, you're not supposed to know everything, but I think they are laying out a few things that you should be able to cling on to. You know, you know, one faction is against the other and one faction's just burnt down an entire city and, and killed everybody in it. So you know there's a big battle here and you'll learn more as the episodes go on. Yeah. Yes, yeah. exactly. Okay, so let's get into our big moment for episode one. We'll go through each episode and we'll just pull out our big moment. I suspect there might be certainly some crossover between uh, our big points here. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we move on to each episode, I will come in with the summary, just so you know where we're up to within the overall storyline uh, of this series so far. Exactly. So, Chris, you are the Witcher Magusta, so <laughs> what's your big point for episode one? This. Yeah. Um, one of my big points probably for episode one and continuing throughout the season of well, the first half that we've seen is the fighting, mm-hmm. uh, the sword work. Uh, it's really well put together. It's really the, the stunt coordination, the, 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 the whole lot for me was, um, just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly in this first episode, this first episode really sets the scene with the, the f- grace that Geralt, which you, you wouldn't expect. So someone as 
bulky and big and swall as Henry Cavill. Uh, you don't expect him to move with that kind of grace uh, with a sword. You expect a bit more of a bruiser, mm-hmm. um, that kind of Hulk smash type approach. Yeah. But this for me was amazing because we see him fight with the bad people of Blaviken where he actually gets his name from the book and this is like the history of how he got the name Butcher of Blaviken Mm -hmm. um, because he did take down the guts of about 12 people yes um, in a graceful art and that's very much one style of how he fights and he used like it's just fantastic but then it very much quickly switches when he starts fighting with Renfri Mm -hmm. Um, to becoming a much more someone on his, someone who's at least with similar abilities and this, uh, kind of competency as him. Yeah. Uh, with a sword. It felt like each of them were kind of holding back against each other when he was fighting with Ren- Renfrey. She didn't want to kill him, but would. And he didn't want to kill her, but would. Um, and you can really tell that they are matched. Uh, it's a really, really good scene. Um, you're absolutely right, Chris. This is one of the biggest uh, things that this show has going for it, what the the amount of work they've put in to these fight sequences. There's a great moment just before that battle with Renfri's men in, in Blaviken. There's a great moment where he just takes a breath before plunging into the fight, uh, stabbing the guy in the face with his, uh, with his sword and then cracking his head open when you're suddenly going, whoa, now I'm in a battle here. Now I'm in a yeah. real moment. And I will say that's this was definitely the first moment where I went, I want to buy this game. I want to have that moment where I uh, put a shield up and block the guys from coming towards me and then attack the other three around me. You know, it's that moment where you realize this also does have connections to a video game, you know? Yeah, it, it was a great fight sequence. Um, I think Henry Cavill's excellent here. I, I, I just love how he dispatches... Um, those 12 guys who are coming at him and of course i think earlier on in the episode you you do have um you know that they're basing him as well so it really does feel like he is making a very sharp point um (laughs) generally in their heads or through their guts Uh, but i i really like how um he does that and of course to top it all off or decapitate it all off uh he you know the the leader who really was baiting him in, in the inn at the start yeah gets uh yeah gets his head chopped off after yeah. being i think pinned to the door but yeah it, it's just how he dispatches them is like really good and, and you do feel that that is taking its inspiration uh probably from the game i don't know how it's described in the book some of these fight sequences but yeah as you say chris it, it just kind of it flowed uh, and moved through all these 12 guys as he attacks them yeah. um where he has the far superior sort of um battle poise and, and skill set yeah. there uh really good and then yeah just having that that change uh with uh Renfri is really nice and um yeah I, I thought this was really good it was almost the dance between the two of them yeah it was really yeah. cool and also yeah. starting that whole fight with him knocking an arrow coming towards him out of the air with a sword you go whoa this is going to be cool uh, and they didn't disappoint yeah really really good it, it reminds me to a degree of the hallway scene in daredevil season one i, I know what you mean yeah 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 definitely um, in that it was very brutal but at the same time graceful yeah graceful absolutely yeah, yeah. That's a it's a nice way, as you as you said, Derek. Like as soon as uh, first time viewers, first time people, uh, kind of to the the source material to the Witcher universe, it's once you're introduced and you see that, mm-hmm. is you're like, oh, okay, okay, now I I know what I'm in for now. Yeah. 
Um, you, you know it's not going to be a... I, I don't know. So there's two other shows coming out which are, are going to be similar high fantasy. You've got The Wheel of Time mm. um, coming to uh, Amazon. It's Robert Jordan's uh, series, isn't it? Robert Jordan's, which is very, again, high fantasy. Mm. One of my favorite books of all time. We'll probably will be covering it. Maybe. Um, <laughs> maybe, fingers crossed, when it, if and when it ever comes out. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you've also got Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Those two, I believe, will not be as violent, mm-hmm. if you will. Yeah, they're, they're like they're not going to have that same level of Witcher and Game of Thrones, where you get a you get blood, you get guts, mm-hmm. you get oof, you get the the red wedding. Yeah, this will maybe, and I think that's what they did in this this kind of opening shot, yeah. the see the sequence. Um, even when you have with the, like Geralt fighting the Kikimora, the, the monster, as I said, like, like literally him, like jumping out of the swamp yeah. and basically bisecting, uh, it's, uh, kind of art or decapitating its arm off and then spearing it through the head. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, that's the other thing. The monster fight right as an opener is just really good. It gives that atmosphere, doesn't it? It's kind of this dank swamp, dark forest. Um, Dare I say it, even Bambi gets killed or put down uh, by by Geralt. Yeah, no, exactly. (laughs) Um, You're not having a good day. I think we do see him eating the venison as well, doesn't he? He is cooking it up when he's in the forest, I think, with Renfrey yeah. later on. And I do want to point out, the second time I watched the episode, I did notice that the deer had been injured. Yes. So it was Geralt was going, you're not having a good day because he's been injured and he's also going to kill him. The first time I watched it, I was like, that's really cruel to show the opener with the poor little deer there about to be attacked. He gets away and then gets killed by Geralt. But there's a slight little touch to it that yeah. Geralt does see that he's injured and kills him. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the other thing as well, for me, as this jump off point, you you do get that, you know, it, it introduces him as a witcher, that this is a group of people um, who are apart. He, he's doing this for coin. It, it's He's like a, a hired assassin to kill monsters. He has certain abilities, powers above normal humans in, in this and I kind of like that. And I, I like the fact that you do get that sense of him um, set apart from at least the humans in terms of how they view him. And certainly mm-hmm. when you, you see him in Blaviken, where, where you know, he, he is slightly observed with mistrust, with um, this idea, uh, like you get in, in, in um, The Lord of the Rings, where they are um, special folk who um are loners do things differently um not entirely trusted but if someone has got a problem no one else can help with a monster <laughs> then you get the g team of Geralt uh, to come in and, and sort that out so I, I thought that opening was really good and how that all kind of um gave a hint as to his place in this world as well yeah was that your big point for the first episode john or did you have something else um no i had something else it was it, it's kind of at the end of the fight that chris uh, brought out and it, it's also it's ultimately uh Geralt meeting stregobar the the mage mm-hmm. um and you you kind of get this element of a prophecy that someone um, a, a, a lady is is coming to kill him, um, and he believes that it's Renfrey, um, and it could be someone else. That this 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 uh, woman is born of 
um, the the evil uh, in this world, uh, and he is being asked effectively again. He's being hired to be an assassin, but this time uh, to protect himself, Stregobar, uh, from this this woman. And, and we're introduced to Renfrey here, who um, you know has a vendetta against him because of how her life has played out. Mm-hmm. But it, it's right at the end here where Stregobar, you know seems to whip up the crowd against the witcher but also poses the question have you done the right thing have you killed the right person um in in the sense that you know the witcher uh, again i kind of liked how henry cavill played this where um you know he didn't want to um kill renfrey yeah. um and he didn't really want to be employed by stregobar to do this his kind of dirty work really yeah. um but ultimately the way the battle plays out between these two because she goes for him after sort of a bit of a stand down um he does kill her because she's trying to kill him mm-hmm. um and, and you get stregobar saying you know have you chosen the right woman to kill even though Geralt didn't want to kill renfrey and this prophecy then i suppose um is is a bigger thing maybe it's just around him um and i I think we maybe get hints of that in in some of the episodes later on when we get to see uh the citadel of the gull uh with all the mages there Mm -hmm. Uh, but certainly stregobar seems to be someone that I don't know whether I fully trust him. He seems quite Absolutely. manipulative. So um, I kind of like this introduction of him with Geralt and with uh, Renfrey as well. Definitely. And the fact that ultimately Geralt was forced into doing something he didn't want to do for someone who he didn't really care much for um, and didn't really want to work for him or receive his coins. So, mm-hmm. um, and, and then you, you get Stregobar really seemingly trying to turn uh, Blaviken against him. And he probably is the one, I don't know, who propagates the Butcher of Blaviken yeah. uh, as well. So um, I, I thought that was a really nice uh, part of, of this episode as well. Well, between the two of you, you've pretty much chosen uh, the two major things I wanted to talk about in the episode as well, because I do think this relationship between Stregobar and Witcher at the beginning and Geralt at the beginning is the most interesting part of that first episode. Delaney actually says to Geralt at the end of the episode is, you made a choice to kill Renfrey and you'll never know whether it was the right choice, which is a real punishment to him because it feels throughout the episode that he's fallen in love with this woman um, who she describes herself as, they created me like they created you. We're not that different. Yeah. Um, I was created to be this. You were created to be what you are. And of course, I'm going to do everything I can to fulfill my destiny almost is, is her attitude. And he agrees with that. He sees that in her and doesn't want to kill her and then makes the decision to have it kind of thrown in his face by Stregobar at the end of the episode uh, does feel like it's going to be a punishment for the Witcher going forward always, uh, which I just thought was a very interesting uh, idea. Uh, one other thing that I will pull out from the episode as well, because we haven't really talked about it, and it is a massive part of the episode, is the battle between Nilfgaard and the Sintrans. That battle is fantastic. Uh, we've mentioned Game of Thrones a few times. I don't think we're going to stop mentioning Game of Thrones throughout the episode, but um, this is a battle that would have been saved to the third season of Game of Thrones, seeing two armies going head-to-head on a field of battle is something that you didn't see in early seasons because they couldn't afford it, basically. Um, Whereas in this show, it's in the middle of the first episode. I think it's 15, 20 minutes into the episode where we see this fantastic battle and see that everybody there is a warrior. I love the warrior queen. I love the idea that she's able to come out in the battlefield and completely hold her own in front of everybody else. 
And they're having great conversations herself and her king, uh, where he's telling her we need to win this battle just before he gets an arrow through the head, killing him. Instantly. Oh, yeah, that that was um, very Harold Battle of Hastings 1066 and all that. I thought that was really cool, actually. Very good, very good. A yeah. historical reference that I probably don't know because I didn't learn a huge about about, uh, about Hastings. I, I like the fact that the queen is called the lioness as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um that that that's a nice kind of moment. I I, I like um I like this queen. Um dare I say it, she got spunk. Yeah, she does, definitely. And I love the concept. I love the whole idea that when they lose the battle, everybody in the castle takes poison to, to kill themselves off rather than being taken by uh, by the opposing army. I think yeah. that's quite a quite an interesting idea. Even though they are a warrior race that wants to save themselves, they do realize when all is lost, it's time to take your uh, take your tablets and go. Basically, well, and she does a, a Prince Tommen, doesn't she, and chucks herself out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, the, the the thing is, true dramatic way to go. Yes, it, it really is. Um, although it, it seemed more, it seemed less funny than Tommen. Um, but. Sure. Um, I, I think as well, you know, I, I was still not fully uh, sure around um, Sintra and, and the people inhabiting it. You know, that was something because you're you're, you're dropped into this huge battle, these mm-hmm. forces of Nilfgaard. Uh, and, you know, the reasoning for it wasn't entirely sure. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, but here as well we're, we're introduced to princess siri um who is escaping here um from the the forces of nilfgaard and the 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 black rider i suppose that the 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 leader of the nilfgaardian um forces Hunter, basically. Uh, yeah i mean again still surrounded in mystery for me i think even after episode four i'm not entirely clear who he is I'm, i wasn't even sure whether these were um after a few of the episodes, whether um, the Nilfgaards were from were Elvish in some way, but um, I think here, and, and the interesting thing is that Princess Ciri um, is what we feel is being haunted. Um, she has been told to escape by the Queen, um, and you have that moment right at the end where we see she has a, a particular power, almost like a banshee, uh, yeah. with with the scream being able to um, sort of split the earth, so mm-hmm. she is able to escape from the leader of, of the Nilfgaardian forces. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Really, really cool to see this this type of character in the show, and really cool to see uh, how this is going to develop. Um, we will say it now. I love that by the time you get to episode four, we understand a lot more about this. Uh, battle between the elvish and the humans uh the um distaste the humans have had for the elves and the things that they've done to punish them over the years and you can kind of see now after the fourth episode why there was this attack i think that's something that i really liked the build up to because we're getting the different timelines coming together by about episode four and but didn't you think that there was something strange when she did split the the earth as well when she's been chased by the leader of the Nilfgaardians. Yeah, there was in a later moment where the elvish assassin that's going after Siri almost gets her and she cracks the earth in half. Um, and he looks at her as if he's saying to her, um, no, no, don't run away. I have, I'm here to help you or I'm here to save you. He looks at her, not as if he's, uh, not as if she's gotten away from his grasp, as if he's there to try and save her. Um, but I'm interested to see if that maybe plays out in the future of the show. I don't know at the moment. I it, it feels like it could be a straight black and white story. He's after her. He wants to catch her. Yeah, and she exactly. got away. But it was just something in his look that made me think, oh, maybe there's something different. Yeah, so character. there could be something there that maybe is a little different. Certainly, because I, I, I'm just wondering, we, we find out l- later that 
Siri does speak Eldrin, mm-hmm. um, so maybe she's part elf as well Perhaps, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Um, but I'm sure Chris does, but don't spoil us, Chris. That's what I'm like, I, I, I'm, I'm sitting here in silence and I know probably <laughs> some of our fellow witchers are sitting in silence as well. We're <laughs> screaming at the podcast. <laughs> I, I, I know some of this and I want to correct you, but at the same point, I don't, yeah. um, because that's the whole fun part of this. Um, yeah, correct us if it's something in the show itself. Like what we do know. Uh, by episode four, we know her mother had the same power. We know her great-grandmother had the same power, but we know the queen doesn't have the power. It skipped her generation. But her mother had the banshee power, and her great-grandmother had the banshee power, like Siri has. Um, but we don't know where that power came from. Um, we know who her, who her parents are as well. We know by the by episode four. But again, we're kind of moving into other episodes. So let's do that. Let's move into other episodes. I have one final thing and question, I suppose, in episode one. Chris, you might know this might be a game-related thing or maybe a book-related thing. Uh, Geralt talking to his horse seems like a very specific thing. It seems like something that may be a regular feature of the books that he tells his stories and tales to his horse. He seems very connected to the horse for this episode. Is there something in that that I'm missing? Because it doesn't, I don't know whether it comes up more in the show, but he seems very attached to this specific horse and seems to tell him a lot of his tales. Is that something that you've seen in the games or the books? So Roach is his best friend. Roach is the name of the horse. It is his best friend. It is his confidant. Right. He talks to it a lot in the books. Uh-huh. Um, although the story that he tells Roach about killing his first monster, the rapist, mm-hmm. is actually from the books. But he doesn't tell Roach in the books. He tells a priestess. Oh, okay. Um, so it's just they've taken two parts. One of him telling that story and him having the kind of his confidant with Roach mm-hmm. and kind of blended them together. Roach is a big part of the games as well. Right. What a great um, confidant. I well, can't talk back to you. I can just uh, neigh at you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Although Roach is supposed to be quite smart. Right. If you, but it's not, he's not a super horse uh-huh. or anything. He's just a smart horse. <laughs> um, I will correct you on one very small thing. Okay. Um, Nilf guardians are humans. Okay. Grant. Oh, that's the one they are. No, that's uh, what I wasn't about. sure on um, in, in the first episode. So I've completely episode. got okay. I think in the first episode, I assumed that they were human. Mm-hmm. And certainly then moving through, I was getting confused as to whether they were human or elven because um, Sintra seems to absolutely dislike elves more than most humans. Um, but then... The Nilf Guardians at the Citadel of the Gull, when they come to pick their mages, they were definitely human. So, um, yeah, it was something I just wasn't entirely sure on. It's quite a significant correction. Yeah, no, that's major apologies to our fellow Witchers for getting that so wrong. (laughs) No, the one thing I will say, and the reason potentially you do think it is Kahir, who is the um, Nilf Guardian soldier that's chasing the main soldier that's chasing um, Siri. Mm -hmm. He has a winged helmet, yeah, uh, which is kind of feathered and it looks pointed eared almost. So that's probably one of the reasons you're like, it look, it does look like he has pointed ears in the helmet, but it's actually just, uh, it's a helmet. 
Um, I think it, yeah. I think it was probably because later on in a few of the episodes, them talking about the wiping out of the Elvish race effectively and them taking their lands off them. Um, I think yeah. hearing those kind of uh, discussions going on, I just assumed this was an elven race versus a human race. So there you go. Something new there. Uh, let's get on to the second episode of the show. Episode two. Um, four Marks, episode two. Yes. Bullied and neglected, Yennefer accidentally finds a means of escape. Geralt's hunt for a so-called devil goes to hell, and Ciri seeks safety in numbers. And this episode was again directed by Alex Sakharov. Uh, the episode was written by Jenny Klein. Um, we know Jenny Klein again, another member of the team of the Defenders, uh, writers from Netflix. Um, she wrote season two, episode nine of Jessica Jones as well. So uh, somebody else that we've talked about on the podcast before. Yeah, it's a, it's a good old group of friends that we've talked about quite a lot. Mm. Um, and hopefully they listen to this show and are going, what? No, I didn't mean that. <laughs> but uh, we are completely misinterpreting their their opinion. Yeah. Anyway, um, what did you guys think of the episode two? I really uh, enjoyed episode two. Uh, and I, I think ultimately it comes down to, I suppose, my big point. Should I? I don't know. Yeah, you go ahead. Yeah, I mean, That's... I think um, it ultimately comes down to uh, Yennefer. And I know, Chris, this is your point as well but i just thought it was really really interesting having a character like yennefer uh, starting off um here and just her whole situation you know obviously her family doesn't love her the village doesn't love her um she has the deformity on her back and her face is kind of um skewed um she's constantly being told she's worthless mm. um i think ultimately she's sold for for coin uh to um tissia uh, one of the majors because ultimately behind this um unassuming peasant girl in a backwater village she has got uh magic abilities or she is able to channel this uh ability uh where she portals to escape from the the two kisses in the village who are having a go at her uh to the somewhere at the time i don't think we know who it is but this is where she meets istred mm-hmm. um and uh but ultimately she's portaled herself to the citadel of the ghoul where all this magic is taking place and ultimately where she finds herself when Tissia, who has bought her and brought her to the Citadel of the Gull to further train uh, Yennefer. So I, I think she's a really, really interesting character. Yeah. The other quick kind of sub-major point that I really like about this magic is a bit like with Doctor Strange, it has a price. Mm-hmm. And I love that stone and the flower moment when they're all around in a circle with the stone and the flower on the desk and Tissia asks everyone to elevate and raise the rock off the table using their magic and one of the girls you know it is kind of like oh what look look i'm doing it i'm doing it as it effectively withers her hand because the price for that magic that she's just used is her hand withering very um sort of dumbledore in, in terms of what happens and actually that you needed to hold the flower and wither the flower to raise the stone. So I thought this was really, really interesting. But we also see, I suppose, Yennefer maybe not um, understanding her powers as well as the others at this moment in time. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. I think it's really interesting that we find out later that Tissia knows how powerful she really is and she's pushing her down the path of power 
basically, because she knows what's there. She knows the other girls can do tricks and can do glamours, that kind of stuff. But by the fact that Yennefer used this portal system to move herself away from trouble, that gives the indication to Tissia that this is a very powerful person. If she can just be channeled down the right path, then she'll have another powerful mage at her side. Um, it's funny that you mention uh, Harry Potter, John, because instantly this moment with Tissia where she gets picked up for four, for four uh, coin uh, from her parents, instantly what was in my head was, this isn't like Hagrid coming over going, you're a wizard, Harry. You're being stolen from your family who hate you anyway because you're made to sleep with the pigs. Um, this is awful. Like, you know, yeah, it's, Harry, it's really uh, brutal. As we know from Harry Potter, he's like made sleep under the stairs. His family do hate him as well. But there's a moment of light that comes when Hagrid comes to him and brings him to wizarding school. This is you're being dragged off kicking and screaming from even though the people hate you, you don't want to go, you know? Um, but I do like the progression of that story. I think uh, all of us have this as probably our, our big point. The character of Yennefer, I think, is fascinating in this show because she realizes the power in everything, and then she wants it. She wants all of the power for herself. Like, there's an interesting moment with this character where she's effectively told that she can get um, surgery to make herself look beautiful, and she doesn't go for it because she wants beauty. She goes for it because she wants the power that is held within beauty for other people, which I think is a really interesting thing about Yennefer's character. To make another Harry Potter analogy, it's almost like Voldemort going after the Elder Wand because it's the most powerful wand, which will therefore make him more powerful. This is Yennefer going, oh, okay, well, I can get surgery and make myself look beautiful, which gives me the power of beauty over other people. So when I walk into a room, everybody will know how powerful I really am. I love that choice. I love that idea that it's not to do with herself feeling like she needs to be beautiful. It's to do with herself going, I know what that power is over other people. That's a great difference that she has. Here in Absolutely. Show. Because and I think it comes to, you know, she's told she's worthless by her family. And then she realizes that the, um, the the city that she would be placed uh, in uh, by the mage council, she's not getting the one that she thinks she is because she wouldn't look right and because she is um, what a quarter elven mm -hmm. as well. So the, this idea of her, um, she suddenly understands that for the rest of this world, the power of beauty that she needs to attain in order to have even more power over them. And I think that's the, again, as you say, that's the interesting thing about her is her ultimate goal is power mm -hmm. uh, and strength. Mm -hmm. And she, she has those conversations as well with Tissia and um, that she doesn't want this and that. She just wants to be more powerful yeah. and, and to prove this. And she thinks that her magic power is all that would take her to her assignment. Uh, and in the end, through a combination of her deformity as well as her bloodline, she's told no. So she then recognizes the power effectively of, of optics or of the superficial within this world. Um, and again, later on, I'll leave it till later on for me, you also then get sort of a sudden thud of realization from her in episode four on the beach, which is really, uh, really, really interesting. Well, we'll definitely so, get into that one. Uh, yeah, well. absolutely. Chris, do you have anything else on this point, or is this similar to your point? Well, actually, this is similar to your point for the episode, isn't it? Exactly. Like, Yennefer is my point. Um, mm -hmm. I, I, I've loved this character for years. Right. Um, she's really well portrayed in the books. Uh, and Eve, uh, in, uh, in personal opinion, better portrayed in the game. Um, the character has always, as you say, 
at first glance, the the story of Yennefer is kind of like, oh, poor hunchback that decide that like makes herself beautiful and then wins everything. Mm. And it's like, no, that's you see uh, in this choice by uh, by the writer and the way that they portray the character that she, as you, I'm, I'm not going to belabor the point that you've already said, like she chooses to do all these things for power. Yeah. Um, and one of the, 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 the key turning points you see this in, I don't think a lot of people got it because it's very subtle uh, to a degree, which is when she, her friends or her, basically her schoolmates, are sacrificed and turned into eels mm-hmm. so that their powers will stay within the the fortress and basically she's not she doesn't care yeah. she's like because that that power becomes her power it's when yes it's that moment when she realizes what's actually happened she thinks yeah. that Tissia has converted her friends into into worms as she says and it's only when Tissia slightly explains to her that she goes, oh, okay, well, then I don't care. <laughs> it's, yeah. It is very much that, yeah. that twist in her as well. That was a great moment as well, because you see her self-doubt. E- you know, even though she's been picked by Tissia, even though that was because she was bought like a slave, and yes, it's not the, the happy ever after Harry Potter type of thing of yeah. being accepted by fellow mages. She plays that self-doubt, or you know, like catching the lightning in the bottle. Yeah. All of this thing that she seems to be failing at consistently or, or not doing as well as other members. And you can see the jealousy, but also the self-doubt. And then the determination of what she wants to do. You can see, like, she's really um, sort of nicely portrayed here. I'm finding it really difficult not to talk about all of Yennefer's story here because I think it is the most intriguing uh, of the show. There's a great moment where she's talking to Eastred later on and says to him, do you remember that girl that fell at your feet with no confidence in herself? I want to go back to where I'm from with this power and never be her again. Um, I think that's fascinating because... What she's saying is, I'm going to be going back to the exact same place, but now I know who I am. Now I have the confidence in my abilities. And now it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks of me. I have this power. It does make me think that potentially in the books and the games, this is the villain of the piece. And we're getting her origin story. I don't want that to... uh, question answered that is a rhetorical question that's just how i feel by the end of episode four that yennefer is on the path to being the villainess wanting all of the power in this world um but that's just where i think she's going i think we're going to see Geralt versus yennefer rather than her siding alongside Geralt. well just just to that point as well i i, I kind of feel that is this the other person that stregobar is talking mm-hmm. about Definitely. and certainly we see his machinations with um, Istrid as well, mm-hmm. uh, and, and everything there. Again, a- another thing that really, um, for, for Yennefer seems to, um, say that it's only herself that she can, um, sort of believe in and trust, you know, that this, this world is, is far too, um, sort of fickle, really, yeah. Yeah. um, and far too devious a- against her specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very quickly, th- there's another part of episode two, which we b- should discuss, which is uh, essentially, as we brought up very briefly in episode one, the uh, the elves mm-hmm. um, and the, the Geralt's, um, Geralt's having to look for the devil um, with the horns, where we see um, we see the second side of the the. the Prosthetic CGI, <laughs> or sorry, the prosthetics versus CGI. Right. 
this um, is goat we, man isn't it yeah. yes exactly we meet the elves and the the, the uh, i can't even remember the 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 monster's name it's not even a monster the the goat man um and you see the difference between what we just saw with the the uh, kikamora in episode 1 and then you see the elves and uh, which are like okay elves look human with just bigger ears mm-hmm. uh and then you see goat man and i'm like oof oh this is where you, they they didn't, in my own personal opinion, they 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 lost some points on that. Yeah, just from because, the look of it, you mean? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it it wasn't the best prosthetics. It just looked slightly off. Yeah, see, that didn't look like prosthetics to me. That actually looked like he was a CGI creation, and that's so difficult to carry off. You know, the, there's only a few examples of where CGI has stood side by side on screen with prosthetics, and Gollum would probably be the best example of it, but there's so many other failures of it. And he, weirdly, he should have been more prosthetics than CGI. He looked like there was maybe some CGI enhancements that made him look unreal in the scene. Yes, exactly. Because we do get some prosthetics later Mm. uh, in episode four, which look good. Absolutely. I was going to say, I thought the Hedgehog Knight um, (laughs) was... Uh, look really good. I, I thought those prosthetics were, were yeah. really nicely done. I mean, yeah. I think with the goat one as well, m- dare I say it, a bit like with the Cats movie that's just recently come out, when you're trying to put... Uncanny Valley. Well, when you're trying to put an animal look onto mm-hmm. a human, I think it can potentially look weird. Anyway, you know, goats have got those kind of beady eyes on the side, yeah. uh, and and it it's like... Can you actually do it? So maybe this was the the five minutes worth of cats uh, in in The Witcher, where you just kind of go, you. It's really difficult to put a goat look onto uh, a human head. You know, it, it's kind of like at least for centaurs, the the bottom half is a horse, the top half is more uh, human looking, and um, so it, it's. I, I I just wondered whether it was the cats moment uh, with. Um, Goatman, because I thought Hedgehog Knight was really, really good. Now, you do say that about centaurs, yeah. but I do remember the first appearance of centaurs in Harry Potter, uh, where they had forensic, <laughs> uh, was not very good. It wasn't a very good no. version of the character. <laughs> but either. that was I, a CGI. It was CGI yeah. as well. What I would say, though, is there's some things that probably, even on the massive Netflix budget, aren't going to be movie quality. This definitely felt like no. one of those. Um, but I do want to come back to your point, Chris, because this was part of my point. The idea of the elves in the show i did talk about it in in episode one incorrectly but uh, this is the episode where we hear much more about it effectively that the elves are being ethnically cleansed there is a yeah quite a significant story here where you hear the bard talking to the elves going oh well you left your home willingly and they look at him going who the hell leaves their home and their crops willingly we were forced out of there all of our people were murdered and you sit there looking at the crops that are growing in the blood of our of our kin and praise yourselves what you've done taking our land away. I think that's a really interesting thread of a story there that needs to be brought up more, and I hope the show is going to focus on that side of it much more to build on this world and this universe, rather than just to be a a fetch quest of a show. Every episode, Geralt gets a quest, and he needs to meet different people. This is the stuff that I'm finding really interesting in the background that's going on. Yeah, I think that the elves are a subspecies that are being persecuted um, was a, a, an interesting twist. And mm. certainly when you compare that, say, to something like Lord of the Rings, where they're very highly esteemed, even though not necessarily always trusted. Mm. Um, 
I thought that was kind of interesting. And of course, you do mention the other point that we do have to raise here, because like him or loathe him, there is the bard, there is Jaskier. Well, that was my point for this episode. Ah, okay, we'll take it away. I loathe this character. <laughs> and I think, he's, what? I think he's meant to be loathed, to be honest, from that opening moment where you hear him singing a song about abortions in a bar, and then they tell him to go abort himself and throw stuff at him. I was totally with the patrons of that bar. He's absolutely the most irritating character. He feels like a character out of the game Fables, um, those excellent, very funny comedy games that are on the Xbox and, and PlayStation. He feels like a character out of that dropped into Game of Thrones. I think if it was in Game of Thrones, rather than The Witcher, he probably would have had his throat slipped by the end of the episode, to be honest. Um, I don't really understand, even after episode four, I don't really understand why Geralt's putting up with him, ta- tagging along with him the whole time, apart from he just can't get rid of him. <laughs> I think that's the beauty He's of it. He's a bard. It. Yeah. It's, I think that's the beauty of it. I, I, I loved this character. And do not <laughs> lie, Derek, you were singing... Uh, his his little tune of toss a coin to your witcher I was singing oh, valley a- of plenty <laughs> I was singing toss a coin to your baker uh, he bakes you cakes uh, toss a coin <laughs> to your butcher he makes your dinner uh, I was singing all the versions of that awful song that I could have <laughs> toss a coin to your podcaster over in Patreon and you might hear some more <laughs> oh, valley oh valley of, of Patreon, Patreon. Oh, yes of exactly <laughs> um, but I, I really like but the bard here uh, Yaskia and I think it's mainly just because um, I love the, I just like the deadpan of uh, Henry Cavill here mm-hmm. as, as Witcher and the relationship that he absolutely doesn't want him along, but can't shake him. Um, dare I say, it, not it one of the uh, great overused, but still fantastic tropes of fantasy, mm-hmm. the, the unwanted um, sort of sidekick or um, uh, traveler, yeah, uh, sure. whether it's the bard here, whether it's in Willow, uh, whether it is in Princess Bride, whether it is in The Lord of the Rings, uh, say with Merry and Pippin, mm-hmm. um, really, uh, really good. And so I kind of like this. And I, I think um, I just loved how Geralt uh, sort of despises him, really, yeah. and, and talks to him. Let me be clear about uh, my point, I suppose. I I feel like I'm supposed to dislike this character and the actor's doing a great job of making me really dislike him. Yeah. So I'm probably feel like I'm on Geralt's side. He's annoying. He's irritating, but he's there and you're right. It is definitely a trope. I don't expect him to go away anywhere. Um, it just shows the difference in this show from other shows. I suppose that's, that's all I mean. It's so, yeah. So Jaskier um, is known as Dandelion in the books in the game. Right. right. So as you, dive deeper into the, the game and to the into the books or the comics, you'll you'll see this character. They become very close friends. Roach is Geralt's best friend. Mm-hmm. This is would become second. And over the course of the four episodes, he does become useful in that you see that he does actually build the story of the song of Geralt of Rivia. Yeah. The Butcher of Blackfair. Uh is uh, kind of yeah, he has his own kind of bard who is singing about him, just like the 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 kind of making Geralt a a, a known quantity. Don't we all want someone to follow us around and and sing our sing our theme tune all the time? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I will say that song is just like fantastic. It's everywhere. It's um, I have it on Beat Saber now. It's just <laughs> like like it, it it's in your head and. I was just amazed at 
It, it It's these little ones that does kind of carry on because I've heard people who haven't even heard of what the show mm-hmm. is. They've just heard the song because other people have seen <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, excellent stuff. And I'm like, okay, that's when you know kind of memes are hitting a point in kind of pop culture. Of course. Where it's just, it, yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. Do you know what it felt like? It did feel like a little bit like a game mechanic, if I can uh, explain that to non-gamers a little bit. It feels like, you know, every time Geralt does something, the bard sings his praises in the next town and then they'll pay more coin. Uh, to have yes, that particular yes. Witcher. So it kind of feels like a game mechanic translated into a TV show where there's no real need to have the bard around. But if in a game you had this character around and he went into the town ahead of you to sell who you were and yeah. sell your reputation before you get there, then you develop and build up more gold for doing a job for those people. That's exactly. What it feels. He's increasing his profile mm-hmm. within the world of The Witcher. Just before we get on to episode three, uh, just a quick thing. Siri is still on the run from the North Guardians. Her family obviously aren't as acclaimed or as good or, or, or perceived to be good uh, as maybe we think, but whether it's her mother, her grandmother, her great-grandmother, um, her great-great-great-grandmother, as well as the royal courts. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I think that's kind of interesting. And she meets, I think, Dara in this episode yes. as well. Uh, another person on on the run i think from uh sintra uh, as well yeah. um so again you know her her story is still very much one of on the run from the nilf guardians uh, and i think we you know get the sense that certainly her um the the, the queen of, of sintra is not necessarily the most benevolent person there yeah. um as viewed by her sort of subjects i suppose i like that in this episode yeah. they kind of take away the possible hiding spots for siri effectively because what we see when she's with uh, dara rat boy as she calls him when she meets him first because she's really nice she sees the Sintram flags on the horizon and goes straight for them and then she feels like she's going to be uh, saved by them effectively but we find out that the Nifgardians are effectively doing their own purge and ethnic cleansing of her people effectively they're going after every outpost that escaped from the castle trying to find her and killing all of them so um so i like that they kind of pulled the rug out from under them and and took away her hiding spots i suppose so now she's completely alone effectively because she won't want to go back to any more of her people in case this happens again. Um, one interesting one, Chris, and you might be able to maybe point a little bit to this. I don't know whether there's something in there. Um, the people that she's staying with have, it looks like a servant with them, um, who's a dwarf, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And the minute the uh, Nelf Guardians attack, he instantly turns on them and kills and kills the mother, effectively. Yep. Uh, is something in there that I'm missing or something in there that might be uh, better explained? Uh, class warfare, humans, it's kind of what you discussed with the elves. Um, the non-human races are sometimes treated less than, mm-hmm. or usually treated less than. They're, they're seen as servants. They're seen as typically the dwarves are treated as, um, kind of slaves. Mm. So, and this dwarf was treated badly. Um, we see like the lady of the house, uh, basically, sees Ciri's shoes and says, oh, no, we can't live that. And then she calls the, the, the servant and he has to give her his, his shoes. shoes. Yeah. yeah. There and then. And the, the, it's constantly belittled by the, the, the mother constantly kind of yelled at. So we, he kind of takes 
it, it does I don't know it, it's not shown much more mm-hmm. outside of these episodes I'm assuming hopefully it will come in later yeah. on but it is also seen with like the genocide of the elves yeah. Yeah, yeah so not not a servant not their butler basically a slave of these people who takes the opportunity to kill uh, one of them when when they attack like this is the other thing that I think will hopefully ramp up as the season goes on you know we, we talked about it in episode one where we heard about Renfrey say to Geralt that both of them have been made the way that they are. Um, so that's also intriguing that he's not human and she wasn't human as such. And they were all mistreated by the humans. So I presume we're yeah. going to see that kind of, as you say, class warfare come up in uh, in future episodes as well. Yep. If you, speaking of future episodes, this moves us on to episode three. Mm-hmm. Betrayer Moon. Yes, Betrayer Moon. Episode three. Geralt takes on another witch's unfinished business in a kingdom stalked by a ferocious beast. At a brutal cost, Yennefer forges a magical new future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this this for me was one of the the best episodes, um, on multiple reasons. Yeah. So, um, top of my list, um, it, you've got the 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 culmination of Yennefer's origin story to a degree. You've got the Geralt fight with the Striga. You've got a Striga that looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got the first, well, the, the first one I caught of the multiple timeline kind of evidence, although there is in earlier episodes points, which I'll discuss towards the end of this episode, but there, this is the first one I caught of the multiple timelines okay. and you've got further kind of, uh, movement on series story. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, this was really just fantastic this was definitely yeah my favorite episode i couldn't resist talking about this episode already <laughs> so i've kind of already uh, jumped into yennefer's story back in uh, in our episode two uh, section earlier on so um th- this definitely was the one that kind of tied a lot of things together uh for the show i think uh so i really really enjoyed it uh, the episode was directed by alex garcia lopez uh, who we know for his work on punisher misfits daredevil cloak and dagger um so he's been heavily involved in loads of the shows that we've already talked about in the past the episode was written by uh, bo DeMeo, uh, who's did an episode of the of the originals this is the first time we've talked about bo DeMeo. so uh, a new person on the show in writing one of my favorite episodes which is quite good or one of our favorite episodes for the show so that's kind of cool yeah yeah alex i think uh did one of the uh best episodes of the season two of punisher uh for me as well where it really went into uh small town uh america with mm-hmm. the punisher and i thought that was really nicely done um so yeah re- i really enjoyed uh his stuff uh, and i think that's it's really nicely uh shot as well for for this uh episode as well it, it's funny uh, when you describe it, Chris, about how this episode brings everything together, um, I, I absolutely agree. But I think initially when I watched episode three, I was still just going, what the hell is going on? Because <laughs> yeah. um, I think episode two really, you know, with the different timelines, I, I was still at this stage was kind of just going, okay. I'm still confused. Um, yeah. and I think that the, the, and I think maybe not only because I really enjoy the character of Yennefer, but I think just because you went from episode two with Yennefer into episode three, that was the thing I latched onto. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
I, th- I think whilst I love the streaker thing, I love the kind of horror element of, of that. Certainly, you know, the haunted castle yeah. in, in a sense uh, with the beast, uh, the monstrous beast. Um, I, I The rest of it, I didn't quite know how to place it with what I had seen before. Uh, and maybe again, it will come out later on, or maybe it's just Geralt on his journeys doing what witches do. Yeah. Um, so, you know, just a, a progression of that. So, um, but I, I totally agree with uh, how you s- kind of summarized the episode. But I think on first watch, I was just like, yeah, with, with everything with Abba and the King Fall test, um, it was okay. I don't know why these are here, right? But. In fairness, we're watching the show. It was only by the time we got to episode four when they specifically say this this is a different timeline. That's the only time I was even looking for it. I just assumed we were in different places for the first three episodes. I wasn't even thinking in my head that these could be in different timelines at all. The only reason I, I at this point, so up to episode one, two, I thought this was all continuous, just one big story. Mm-hmm. And it's only in episode three where, yes, King Falstess is the one who tasks Geralt with killing the Striga, which is his daughter, because he basically had incest with his sister. And in the castle where the Striga is, where Geralt uh, and Triss are fighting or looking for the Striga, you see a painting of a young boy and a young girl who is King Falstice and his sister. And that painting is of the two children. Later in the episode... Uh, the, the, the part, the party that Yennefer attends after having her transformation, you literally see those two children. Oh, okay. It's basically them oh, really from good. the photo yeah. in it. And it was because we're introduced to the king's mother at that point. So it would have been the queen back mm-hmm. then, literally calls the two kids. And it's the same names. And I went, oh, oh and it looks to say, okay, right, right now, yeah. now I'm starting to see. There's massive differences in times. That's the first point for me. And then in point four, in in episode four, it's kind of directly called out. But actually, I might as well bring it up now very quickly, since we're discussing it. In episode one and episode two, it's... So this episode three was the, um, the, the first big hint that I found, right? Um, in my first watch too. And I went, oh, okay. And that was the painting. That's the blink and you'll miss it. There's, there's actually, as I said, there's episode two, there's hints in that episode and even <laughs> episode one where it's because we don't know the words, we don't know what they're talking about it, but it actually is called out there because Musak warns Siri about when girls used to be locked in towers many years ago. Right. right? Um, <laughs> and then, but those events are kind of only just happening or just pretty recent when Geralt's talking to Stregobor uh, at the beginning in the very first episode. And then Calanthe and Ciri uh, in the first episode discuss Calanthe's victory uh, at the Battle of uh, Hawkbuzz. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was in the past. Right. That was well before Ciri was born. It was back actually in episode four. And then this is the battle that Renfrey discusses in episode one, 
which had just taken place. Right. See, that's the thing. You, there's no way, I think, on a first watch, there's no way that you would pick up any of these. Or there's no way. Yes, exactly. Let, let me say, there's no way I could have picked up any of these references. No way I would have seen a painting on a wall and connected it with a person later on in the episode. I think when I talked to John about it, um, what I said was a lot of TV shows that do this type of thing, whether you're talking about different timelines, uh, say, for example, Westworld, which is probably the most re- recent big example, the way that they do it is stunt casting. You cast a specific actor in a role where you present them a bunch of times throughout a series, and then when you put them all side by side, you suddenly are able to go, oh, okay, the reason why he's there and there is because we're in different timelines, you know? Um, yeah. Doing a show like this, where there's not very many named actors in the show, other than Henry Cavill, uh, who is your main point of view, uh, other than him, there's nobody there that you'll suddenly be able to latch onto and go, oh, okay, well, this they're in a different timeline. Really until you do get to episode four and have that moment with the queen and go, hang on a second, I kind of recognize her. And it's only, I think, at the end of that episode that you're able to maybe go back and go, right, there's there's other stuff. But it's cool that you caught a couple of them, Chris. Yeah. And like I said, you're 100% right. They like I did not catch the only one I caught at the in my first watch through was the, the, the painting of Falstaff. The, the the parts I discussed in episode one and two, it was in my second view and when we were starting to pull together our notes for this mm-hmm. that I was like, oh, 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 okay. Now that I've seen all four episodes and I know what I know what's coming, I'm listening for these things. I know what's happening. Um, I, I'm kind of I was out on the lookout for mm-hmm. this. Um, and yeah, it, it was just really interesting. Um so anyway, that's the the multiple timelines that that is where we had. And this is where we start getting the discussion. Um, the one thing I did want to call out, uh, about episode three, this has been said to me twice by two different people is the incest, which is why do fantasy novels and especially fantasy novels that discuss royalty fall back on incest so often? And I went, actually, fair point. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I know that like the, I, I don't know for sure. I'm pretty sure this is a, one of the short stories as well. Right. The, the, the King Falstaff and the, the Striga. Um, but it's actually true. Like incest is a big thing in Game of Thrones <laughs> and this and, uh, most other royalty based, um, kind of medieval shows. Well, that's exactly the reason up. for it, Chris. You know, I suppose you, you've hit it right in the, in your wording of it. It's about royalty and royalty is nothing but pure be- blood. <laughs> well, not exactly what I was going to say, John. No, it royalty is purely about bloodlines. It's all yeah. about bloodlines. And if you think about that, all that is, is a small pool of people who are saying yeah. we are in power because of our blood. So, from the lay person, from people outside of royalty, you instantly go, well, hang on a second, you're sleeping with your cousin. And if exactly. I did that, then it would be called an incest. Whereas if yeah. you do that, you're called, it's called keeping the royal gene bloodline. Exactly. Going effectively. So, well, and and you, you, you can see that, you know, the reason with the haemophilia uh, uh, amongst the Russian czars, because mm-hmm. it was genetically carried through the bloodline because they were sleeping with cousins, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. I, th- I think incest in fantasy is because I, I always wonder whether it's going back to an earlier time. You know, it's it's based around superstition a lot. You know, 
lore, legends, myths, all this kind of thing. Mm. And, you know, it's it's always kind of... If it, the, they're generally always feeling a little medieval in terms of that. You, you've got the whole royalty. So, obviously, incest is actually being shown from on high to be to pres- preserve the bloodline. So it happens with village folk because they, they are, you know, dare I say it, looking up to how you should behave. Uh, and also maybe you just can't travel as far. Um, they don't have uh, an, a, a web-based app that they can, can look for uh, diverse people. Well, but, so, um, but, I, I, think, I think it's a weird thing, obviously, because you're talking about a king here who effectively the king could have whoever he wanted, you know, and that's that's where the oddness comes in but it is a trope and remember there is nothing in fantasy at this stage because there's been so many different fantasy universes there's nothing in fantasy i've ever read that it doesn't start as a trope and then a kind of a twist on it from whoever the author is what i suppose i kind of like about this is the twist towards the end of it really is the fact that this monster that's created out of their union is not because of their union it's created because somebody used magic on them to punish them for what happened And I like the comment at the end from the king where he says, will my daughter be safe after this? Because it's not her fault just because they had a union. It's nothing to do with this child that was born out of it. So I kind of like the slight twist, I suppose, on the idea of it, that it's nothing to do with the child. The child doesn't have have to have an awful life, has had an awful life, and he's willing to bring her back into the fold and hopefully bring her up better in future if she gets saved by the witcher so it's a little a little twist on it but i think yeah absolutely chris you're right this is a trope of fantasy but there is absolutely a reason of it you know the, we are talking about bloodlines and, and uh the, the gene pool so of course there's going to be some uh, very odd couplings within that universe <laughs> <laughs> so to, to, to kind of close off the story of the striga uh, before we move and discuss Yennefer, because I know, Derek, we have to finish this discussion because I have bits on this as well. Uh, so on um, the, the Striga, what I really enjoyed, first of all, the fight. It, and this was where I said later mm-hmm. on, they, they, it seems when they could put someone in a stunt uh, kind of body and they could kind of, it looks a bit more practical. This looked good. This Striga effect... I, in my opinion, looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really happy with the fight. We get to meet, um, Triss Marigold, um, who is another sorceress. Um, it, it, the, she is a big character from the, the books and the game. Uh, and I don't want to give away too much because I don't know how much she'll be used. Um, but she is a, one of the, she is one of the lead characters uh, or the main one of the main characters from the, the the other kind of stories. So it's interesting that we just see her just once. So mm. we take that what would you will. Um, but yeah, so that was I I really enjoyed this episode. For me, as I said, like this was one of the best ones, and it shows that the Witcher just doesn't always kill things. He uses his skills to sometimes save. Versus just the the hired assassin to go kill monsters. Well, I think it, it does come back to the central theme, really, of what's going on with the Witcher as a character. He feels like he was created by whoever it is, and we may find it out in the future, that he is the Witcher and he was created that way. And when he sees other people go kill that monster, unless it's actually a monster, he's not going to kill it. This is not a monster. This is a child who has a curse put on her, and if he can lift the curse, 
he will try and save her as best he can. If he can at least defeat her and stop her from killing him, then he'll save her. So I, I do like that. We see that throughout the, the four episodes that we have. Um, so that that's pretty cool. Um, John, do you want to give us the thing that you want to talk about for this episode? Uh, mine was just basically the scream fest. Um, there was a moment, and I really enjoyed both parts, but uh-huh. as it came together, um, I thought my ears were going to bleed uh, with the amount of, of screaming. Um, I thought the fight with, between the Witcher and uh, the, the Screecher um, was really, really good. Uh, I thought there was great horror elements where the guy who had put the curse upon her mm-hmm. uh upon abba um ha- was tied to the bed because uh Geralt wanted to know how to undo the curse um i love the fact that because it takes the whole night he just suddenly lets out his exclamation because he knows he's now got to fight this really powerful monster for the entire night yeah. um and he's <laughs> just like um god right okay let's get on with this mm-hmm. um you know i we, also love the the chain around her to begin the fight and yeah she breaks the chain instantly <laughs> exactly um i i again you as you say chris you, you see a bit more of uh Geralt's powers you know he's using a chain not just a sword we see him i, I love that moment where he blasts the floor out from under them and yeah, it fo- they the fall magic. down with the with the magic and puts the um the uh sort of the, the 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 force field of magic to stop her from leaving the room and to stop her entering her own uh tombstone i thought that was or or hibernation point i suppose i thought that was really really good so i absolutely enjoyed all the sequence and i also then enjoyed the sequence of yennefer um you know sort of taking that uh moment to change herself because she effectively i suppose in terms of um you know, reading the society in which she lives in, she realizes she, um, to be more powerful must become beautiful because that's what this society appreciates. However wrong that is, she does that. Um, and she has this, um, this transformation at the Citadel of Gulls. Mm. But there is a moment where they're cutting between the two and there is so much screaming. I just kind of chuckled, to yeah. be honest. Um, I, I, I absolutely loved both sets of it, but I just started laughing because I just thought either all our glassware in the house was about to smash <laughs> or I was about to start bleeding from every orifice um, because it really ramped up on the Scream Fest. Yeah, uh, and I thought that was really, really yeah, funny. <laughs> yeah, and as I say, I think the the horror element where the, the guy who puts the curse on the Striga I just think getting his comeuppance, I thought, was really, really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ending off with his entrails on the floor. <laughs> yeah. It yeah. was a nice horror moment. Yeah, definitely. Definitely really, really good. Um, Chris, anything else on this episode? Um, Jennifer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, really, the, the, the sacrifice she makes. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the books and the source materials, witchers and sorceresses are infertile because of the use of magic, right? Right. So the, the use of magic is the reason they they cannot bear children or anything like that mm-hmm. so there's a bit of a there's a liberty or, or a change in the source material here where Yennefer m- makes this decision to have this sacrifice of her uterus mm-hmm. to physically transform into the, the Yennefer we see in 
at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And I find that again, what we've already discussed her, her kind of the sacrifices she's willing to make for power. And for me, this is quite an, like, this is the ultimate sign of that sacrifice, I think. Uh, that she's willing and she discusses it and she looks and she wasn't going to and then she does. Right. Um, and for me, it's the, I just, I found it so interesting to see that this origin of the character and the sacrifice she's willing to make to become who she wants to be. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was fantastic. And, and I think, you know, I've, I've really already mentioned that this was definitely going to be my point before we started yeah. recording <laughs> about the episode. Um, but I think the idea that the sacrifice is about attaining more power for her makes me feel like she's twisting into a more evil, power hungry character. <laughs> uh, in a way, that's, that's just my feeling. This is the moment where you kind of realize that she's not doing it because she wants to be pretty for her boyfriend. Is what yeah. is what this could have been in any other hands. This is her going. I know that people here will give me whatever I want if I can go through this procedure, and I'm going to do it because I want to get whatever I want. Um, so uh, we'll see how that pays off for a little bit in the next episode. But I just like that little touch. It would definitely be remiss of me before getting out of episode three to uh, not talk about the sex position uh, at the beginning of this episode. <laughs> Such a trait of Game of Thrones that, that uh, they got criticized for using it almost every episode. A woman lying on the bed with her breasts out uh, while the main character gets a dump of information. <laughs> and this is exactly what's happening here. We hear the Witcher has been sitting in this room for three days waiting for this piece of information. Well, not really waiting. Um, <laughs> using his pride and joy for the three days, uh, but not able to pay for it, which, <laughs> which also, also think is quite interesting what happens when a witcher has been staying at your brothel for three days not paying his bills how do you kick him out <laughs> you know he's one of the most powerful be- beings in this planet able to kill any monster that comes across him if you're a landlord even a big landlord like this guy who pretends he's not scared of Geralt for a whole three seconds and then tells him he's going to keep his horse um, you know but is that enough what would you do uh, is he <laughs> has he been trying to kick him out every morning for the three mornings going right just get out now and pay me will you <laughs> um, I just, I, I do think it's just one of those funny things because it's, uh, it's such a trope that we've seen so many times in the past to keep people interested in fantasy stories. Uh, stick a naked woman on the screen, you know. It's, uh, it seems to be a standard thing to do. So, sex position really is a big part of The Witcher. Yeah, uh, like they in the books, it's everywhere. In the games, it's everywhere. Um, they, they are some um, very randy. Uh, characters, um, and I was fully expecting it, um, in this show. And the, yeah, this is, but as you said, it's, it, it's, it's an interesting, it's interesting waves. Just like, yeah, you know, we're just, we're, we're naked people everywhere. That's how we do it. We're going to explain it. We need to explain this quite kind of boring part. Do you know what we do? Um, we need to explain some of these, uh, scars and just tell some of the previous stories. Oh, do you know what we do? We'll just get them strip off. Yeah, that will do. It'll work. And I'm like, yeah, it actually does work. Yeah, go for it. Definitely have to point <laughs> out it's, it's as always in these types of shows, it's naked women everywhere. It's not naked men. Um, they, they still uh, haven't no. made that. Ah, uh, ah, uh, ah. Uh. We get some, you get some top, a lot of topless, uh, Henry Cavill. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm all for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Um, the one reason I wanted to bring this up about the sex position, not just about, uh, about that. It is such a standard in the show and probably the books and, and the games, but the piece of information that's in there, which I just thought was fascinating that we learn is there are other witchers and there are active witchers at the moment. For some reason, for the first three episodes up until this point, 
the show's called The Witcher. We have Geralt. We've not, we've heard about the fact that he was created. I didn't realize up until this point that they are a guild. Um, he talks about it with the dwarves. He says to them, I'm going to give you a discount effectively because this guy ran off with your money. That's from my guild to your guild. So there are many, many witchers in the world. This is just one of the witchers. Uh, I, I, just because of that definite article of The Witcher, I just assumed this was the only person that did what he did. So, uh, so we may see more of them later on in the series. The other guy didn't fare very well. Um, but but there are other witchers out there, which I just thought was interesting in there. Let's get on to episode four of Banquets, Bastards and Burials. Yes, against his better judgment, Geralt accompanies Jaskier to a royal ball. Ciri, meanwhile, wanders into an enchanted forest while Yennefer tries to protect her charges. Hmm, tries, tries and doesn't do very well in this episode. So... There's loads of stuff going on in this episode. We've talked about the timelines uh, a number of times before, but there's one specific one from Yennefer, and it's the only time we actually hear a number of years mentioned. She is working for the family that she wanted to work for in another land, uh, the place that she wanted to work in. And she says, I've been working here for three decades doing this job, just sorting out people's political problems i wanted to be the person with power and all i've been doing is sorting out political squabbles for this entire 30 years so that's the first time we've seen this massive difference in time between what's going on in the other worlds and the how long this story is taking place over i suppose um so i just thought that was quite interesting yeah chris what's your point for for me it's the the law of surprise and how that plays it surprisingly plays into quite a large part of what I'm assuming is going to be this series. Um, so for everyone, just to very quickly recap it, mm-hmm. we are given, um, we can explain how he gets there, but um, Gerald is at the uh, betrothal. I, I, I don't know how you, what would you call it? Basically, Queen Calanthry and her daughter are taking offers for the hand in marriage, mm. for uh, it's, betro- it's betrothal. Yeah, yeah. It, it's basically all right. Who's going to do the best? Come on, everyone, stand up and kind of discuss. Mm. So we we get that, and then we do get Dunny comes in, who has secretly been in love and has been meeting with Pavetta uh, for years, or for quite a while. He has been cursed, and um, he basically he when he was not cursed, saved uh, Queen Calanthry's husband and called on uh, the law of surprise, Mm -hmm. uh, which is essentially when someone is owed a debt, they can invoke the law of surprise and claim something that is indebted, but they don't know what yet. So even if the person who's indebted, they, they may not even own it yet, but essentially... I could come up to you, Derek, and go, I claim the law of surprise, and then a year from now, come and claim your car, but you don't even own a car yet. Yeah. yeah. That, it's essentially that. But Dunny had claimed the law of surprise on Pavetta mm-hmm. uh, and was going to use it, but it turns out they were deeply in love and everything was fine. Well, he, cho- he chose not to use it when he realized that what he was saying was, I'm getting your daughter. He chose not to use yes. it and then decided to meet her. Out when he wasn't a hedgehog or, or were hedgehog, as, as I've written into my notes, which is actually the opposite <laughs> of what he is. At midnight, he turns back into a human, isn't it? Something like that. So, so it's yeah, kind of the and opposite that's where of a they, they met and they <laughs> fell in love. Yeah. Um, 
It's an interesting idea, an interesting concept, this whole thing of the law of surprise, this idea that uh, that you tell someone that as a reward, the next thing that you get that's a positive windfall effectively has to come to me. So from that point onwards, you stop playing the lotto, right? <laughs> Until <laughs> something much. surprising comes along, like somebody gives you a book for Christmas that you weren't expecting, right? That book goes to the guy that, uh, that challenged me for the law of surprise. Uh, the only thing, I suppose, and look, you kind of have to allow this in the show because they're trying to explain something quite significant. The only problem with it is we hear about this character who claimed the law of surprise and his windfall effectively is a child born out of surprise that they didn't know about. Geralt claims law of surprise as his reward and what he gets is also a surprising child, which is Siri effectively, uh, that we find out at the end of the episode, her mother is pregnant right now from uh, the union between these two characters. So it's just interesting that law of surprise basically means give me your firstborn, which, yeah. <laughs> which I don't know whether I want. Stillskin. <laughs> I don't know whether I want the firstborn of a, of a random person that I've just just met up and <laughs> saved. <laughs> it was just I, I I found it so funny. Like I I loved the idea of how this was all pulled together and what it means and how they're blunt. Siri and Geralt are bonded together mm-hmm. um, through this law of surprise. And it kind of extends over time and it's played back through the history of these main characters. Mm-hmm. I I will fully admit I laughed out loud when he claims it. We get the, the basically Pavetta pukes mm-hmm. and it's like, oh, she's pregnant. Him going, oh, shit. Uh-oh. And then lightning. <laughs> I was like, yeah, literally, it's just, it was like, hey, can, can, how can we say that this is important? And she's pregnant. All right, we're going to get her to puke. We're going to get him to swear. Mm-hmm. And we're going to have lightning and thunder as an effect. Of to course. go, da, da, da. <laughs> it was just, it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, you're, you're leaning into the high fantasy here, kind of like, it's just, yeah, it was a choice. And I went, it was funny. Well, if you can't do it in this show, you can't do it in any show, right? It's true, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> this episode can still be quite confusing. It's an interesting idea that they do this fourth episode, probably about 15 years before episode one takes place, which is quite interesting because you have to de-age effectively all of the characters that you saw in episode one for a couple of minutes. Um, weirdly, it was Mouse Sack, the mage, that was the one that I went, hang on a second, I've seen him before, and he had grey hair. And he was in the first episode. So yeah. he was the one that made the connection for me when I wasn't even looking for the fact that there might be a different timeline for all of these characters. And I'll be honest, when I heard uh, Geralt come in and call him Mouse Sack, I thought that was a joking name for him. It's only when Siri calls him Mouse Sack later on, you realize that's his name. <laughs> I was like, Mouse Sack, that seems like an insult. <laughs> um, I, I I was really happy of how they did this because they did they do explain... Like why Calanthe has um her husband who talks about her daughter, not our daughter, her mm-hmm. daughter, yeah, in the first episode, and also then mentioned like with Siri in the room, and they're not talking about Siri, and you're like, this is co-. they explain this in this episode, yeah, um, with the characters there, but you also again you get these nice little tidbits of information with like. The sacking of uh, Karen Morin is discussed between Mausak and um, Geralt, mm-hmm. right? And that is essentially Xavier's institute for witchers. Right, right. 
It's their home. It's their training ground. It's where they were. So what we're hearing in this, to a degree, and I'm sure it's going to come back later, yeah. is that essentially it's that it's already been sacked. They've been attacked. Witches are uh, basically no one trusts them already. But it's happening at this point in the timeline. So I'm like, interesting. Yeah, it, it's just, it's, it's so interesting to me about now we know there's multiple timelines. Where do these all sit and how and when? Mm-hmm. That kind of, the interlating of them. So can you explain just because I'm, again, I haven't read books or, or played the games, Chris. Uh, why is it specifically interesting that the Witchers being eradicated or their, their homeland, I suppose, being taken away from them? Why is it interesting that's happening back here, which is possibly 15 years before the episode started? What's, what, what is it about that? Is that something significant from the books? Yeah, it's more that like the Witchers were known as the best demon hunters mm-hmm. and they were, they were trusted, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and I, I, I essentially, I don't want to give away too much, but at a point they were turned against. Right. Think of them, and they, they mentioned mut- mutants mm-hmm. because they are they are mutated to be able to deal the basically do what they do, use the magic they magic, use the magic that they use. Sorry, mm-hmm. the 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 swordsmanship, the power, the strength that they have. They they have been mutated, and that happens in Karen Morn. And essentially this was their, the Xavier Institute. And this is a point people have already turned on them. Yeah. And they then become a necessary evil where no one trusts them, no one judges them, but people use them as demon hunters. Yeah. yeah. But they were always at a point similar to the sorcerers and sorcerers where they were, they, witchers were in there. They were like the knights mm-hmm. and the sorcerers were the advisors. Yeah. Right. There was always the right hand and the left hand. Like, uh, so what we're saying here is that the sorcerers are already still going out and being part of each of the kingdoms and advising and being the secret hand. But uh, by this point in time, the Xavier Institute, Karen Morin, has been sacked and destroyed. Yeah. And we do hear in, in conversation between Geralt and the Queen, we hear him say, we haven't been able to create any new witchers since the sacking. So, uh, yeah. so effectively, something like a moment that happened in the last episode, in episode three, where another witcher has been murdered and killed by a demon. Well, that means that they have less in their guild. They have less people. So we don't know how many witches are actually out there. What we do know is one just got killed uh, by a monster that, uh, that Geralt was able to defeat, but maybe there's only a few left now and they have no ability to make more. Um, I suppose the question I have at the end of the episode, and this is hopefully going to be uh, explained in the future, possibly with this um, prize that uh, Geralt's going to get of Siri when they eventually do meet up. Does that mean that He's going to be able to train her in the ways of the Witcher potentially because she has some uh, some type of magic powers that she's able to use, like the Banshee power that she has. So uh, interesting to think that maybe he'll be forming a new guild in future or be bringing her into the guild or something like that, that there's some new connection between the two of them. But um, but that's one of the main parts, I suppose, of the episode, right? This uh, This idea of the wedding that's taking place 15 years before the first episode. Yeah. John, do you have uh, something that you want to talk about for the episode? Um, I think for me it was um, Yennefer actually on the the beach with the the dead baby that she's mm. failed to protect. Um, she certainly wasn't about to protect 
and the baby's mother uh, from the assassination attempt, even though she did try to begin with. But certainly the royal lady, princess or queen, uh, certainly started to get a little bit um, sort of ungrateful uh, on Yennefer. So she just decided to up and leave her, which I thought was quite funny, um, <laughs> quite apt, really. And she yeah. comes back to save the baby, but she doesn't. Um, but I, I think it's after that, it's just before she buries the, the baby. That conversation with the dead child by Yennefer it is really, really instructive because she she's saying to the the baby, every, you know, despite what I've done to get the power, and she, I think by this she even means this this beauty. Yeah, it doesn't matter whether she was disfigured or one of the most beautiful women uh, in this this world. She is being treated as a woman by this world that is something that she absolutely is now fed up with, you know? And, um, so it doesn't matter what you do, whether you're a powerful mage, whether you're a beautiful uh, woman, you're still treated, I think, as she says, as a vessel. Yeah. Uh, and that's coming from, uh, you know, again, the conversation she has with uh, this princess as they're trying to escape the assassin and in the back of the the um, the carriage just before the first attack by the assassin where it's just like they are used as vessels for for heirs to the throne yeah. uh, or they are used to deal with just the political mess to get rid of enemies to sort things out uh, and ultimately i think yennefer's realization that the power of being a mage and the power of being beautiful um that that means nothing she's still being treated as a vessel and actually i suppose this for me is where the spark in her mind i presume of that to attain real power she needs effectively to regime change um mm-hmm. that the the kings and queens of all these lovely um sort of cities the princes and the princesses it, it's the established order that is the problem and so do we see now moving into the the second half of of the witcher yennefer effectively saying it's more than fulfilling their wishes it's about changing the system i suppose for want of a better word Mm. or killing the people that do hold the power and maybe she becomes a bit more radical in how she approaches it and again i'm hoping that you know we've been saying that she's the big bad but actually she's coming at it from one that you know, is she being bad? Is this not something that a lot of people have tried to do in, in the past? So yeah. um, I, I'm really excited for that. So I, I really enjoyed this this moment of, of Yennefer on the beach. And I think just another quick one for me um, is the beginning in the inn with the Witcher. Um, he's just killed a monster. He smells awful. You've got the bard. And he asks for a beer from the the barman who gives him something which must amount to um, just watered down beer. And it's the glance that Henry Cavill gives to him. He spits it out and the glance that Henry Cavill gives to the barman is like, just what have you given me here? (laughs) And he gets a fresh um, pint of ale. I just (laughs) thought it was really, really just a nice little touch of, of, um, you know, an inconsequential touch 
um, but one that really adds to uh, Geralt's character. You know, he doesn't suffer fools gladly, for sure, even if it amounts to the barman giving him a bad pint. Uh, so I thought that was really good. It was a really funny moment. And then obviously we lead on to the bard and uh, having the conversation with Geralt in the bath as well, which is a, which is a really funny one um, where we have him trying to say to Geralt, he's his only friend. Um, I, I really like the kind of uh, conversation where Geralt's saying to him, you know, you're, you're not my friend. I don't, I don't respect you at all. There's no friendship between us. And he says, well, would you let anybody else rub chamomile on your lovely bottom? <laughs> I think in my head, and I think I said it on our Facebook group when I was having a chat with one of our uh, fellow witchers, um, I was saying, well, I don't think I'd let any of my friends, you'll probably be very pleased to know, Chris, I don't think I'd let Aww. any of my friends rub chamomile on my bottom. If I had this annoying bard following me around all the time, I'd absolutely make him rub chamomile in my bottom. <laughs> well, Yaskia is very, very lucky to to rub chamomile into Henry Cavill's bottom. There you go. But I don't think Chris would be very lucky to rub it into my Could bottom. Could I rub though. some chamomile into your bottom? Yeah, if you wanted to, as I well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I, I do love that they actually did the bath scene because this has been thirst posts uh, from the games for years. <laughs> and as soon as everyone heard they were making this show that, that it was cast as Henry Cavill, like everyone was like, yeah, okay, you're, you're going to do bathtub scenes. Oh, aren't of course you? they are. Aren't you? Of course they are. <laughs> and it was just, again, I think it was one of the first things we heard about from San Diego. Um, Comic Con, when they showed mm -hmm. some of the first scenes, they showed Geralt in the bath, and everyone was so, so happy. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Give them what they want. Exactly. Yeah. I think another quick uh, thing for me, I, we see it in episode three as well, is when Geralt seemingly is, is taking a potion. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know whether that's to heighten his powers or that's the source of his powers or it's like a, a rescue remedy. So, sort of like, you know, getting new health um in a uh, in a computer game yeah. so yeah i don't know but i was just wondering you know we see him taking a vial of of potion uh to sort of sort him out mm -hmm. i don't know how they're going to play this so alchemy is used in this potions are used in this toxicity is used in the books so it's not the source chaos is the source of magic but it does sometimes like potions heighten yeah. But it also gives them additional strength. Um, so we see in the very first episode, Geralt has the black pupils, the, the strained, he's pale, deathly pale, and the kind of streaks of black coming from his eyes. Yeah. That's from drinking these potions, the mm -hmm. chemicals, the, 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 the alchemical kind of, the, like, potions, I suppose, yeah, toxic potions that give mm -hmm. him, like, additional strength to fight these monsters. Um, I think I think what this was like. Okay, I'm too weak to stop it, so I need to boost my uh, magic, boost my chaos. Yeah, I, I suppose that really does feel like something out of the video game. Right? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> these these books, this series, like The Witcher, was born. It, it, it was made in such a way that I'm so glad CD Projekt Red made it into a game because it is a game. Like, he has two swords, mm -hmm. one for fighting monsters, one for fighting humans. Yeah. He has magic powers. He, like, but he only has these types of magic powers. Um, he has to take potions and rest, but he can't take too many potions because it might kill him. So it'll take off his health. Like, oh, it's, this was built for a game. 
And the stories are so good that it was built for TV. It's just, it, it is really a transmedia piece. Absolutely. I think one of the best ones. And you said comics as well. So, uh, so and comics, yeah. everywhere. Um, the only other part of the story that we haven't really talked about is just the other side of what's going on with Siri and the forest people, effectively. Um, they just seem like stoners. I just thought it was very funny where it's like, drink the water, everything will be fine. If you drink the water, you'll forget all about your past. And you look like someone that probably wants to forget all about their past. Um, yeah, but it would kill them if they meant them harm. So it's yeah. a bit of a double-edged sword. Oh, definitely, definitely. But I just thought it was quite a quite an interesting little connection between the two. Uh, very cool to see Josette Simon uh, playing the leader of this group. Um, because if you're as old as I am, you may remember her from a wonderful TV show from the 70s and 80s called Blake's Seven, uh, where she played Dana <laughs> Ollis. Uh, she... Dude, you are really dating yourself with that one. Oh, absolutely. Don't, don't, don't date. Uh, okay. It was a great sci fi there. I'm telling you, Blake, it Blake was. Seven. It was fantastic. And yeah, even I remember her from that. But like, oof, that's a. She's been in other stuff since then. <laughs> she's been in tons and tons of stuff. But instantly I saw her, I went, wow, that's Dana. And she looks amazing. She looks wonderful. After all of these years, it's great to see her. She could walk straight back on to, uh, to the ship and uh, be part of Blake Seven again if they ever remade the show. Uh, really cool to see her on on there. Um, but I suppose series story for me is probably the least interesting so far. It's a kid on the run. That's basically it. Um, and it's they're playing it out. They're they're leaving us little bits of of drips of a storyline that's going on with her. Uh, I really want to see more. I like by the end of this episode, you see that there is a connection with Geralt and that he effectively will own this child in some way uh, whenever they eventually do meet up. And that's who she probably is aiming to go towards to find her destiny, as they keep mentioning in the show. Um, so I'm hoping that her storyline will take off a bit more uh, as we get into the end of the season and maybe into the next season. But uh, at the moment, Child in the Run story, you know, they're, ten, we, they're ten a penny. We so. do get that great moment where, you know, she has to go, Siri has to go to the source of um, the, the forest, of Brokelon Forest. Mm-hmm. Um, and she has to drink from the tree. The waters. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, real echoes of Lord of the Rings, um, and the, the Ent people mm-hmm. uh, and the, the, um, Galadriel in, in, in the forest of Threndril or, and, uh, all, all of that kind of stuff. But I love that it kind of takes her, yeah, to that spaced out zone where she's in a desert with the tree, you know, this kind of like tree of life, get mm-hmm. just, asking her what are you child what a great way to to finish um this first half of um the witcher yeah uh it 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 it, it is a nice as you said it's a nice way to finish the first half because that's what it feels like um by the end of this first half these first four episodes and if you do if you think of this as part one and part two of this season you we've now we've been given a lot of information uh, and a lot of exposition now that we're starting to understand the origins of people. We understand that there's multiple timelines. We don't know how they fit together, but we understand there's multiple timelines. We understand who the bad guys are, who the good guys are to a degree. Um, so it, it, it is that finality, but it's that question of, and <laughs> actually I'm going to echo both of you the the tree of life saying, who are you girl? Is what I'm, but I'm with Derek, and like she's the most least interesting of the characters. Mm-hmm. So who is she? Yeah. I know, I know from the source materials who she is. I don't know yeah. how they're going to play with that, but who she is in terms of this show, I'm finding interesting. 
as I said, I think it's just because it's being so slowly drip fed is probably the reason why I'm kind of going, oh, okay, just give us more information about her. Yeah. Uh, you know, I love the fact that she's got this banshee power. I think that's cool. Uh, and I think it's interesting that the forest wants to know who she is and, and what's important about her. And now by the end of this episode, we know that at least she's connected in some way to Geralt. So we will definitely get more from her in the future. Uh, one thing that struck me was how close that tree of life is, as you guys are calling it, in the forest how close it was to Stregobor's tree in the center of his kind of Eden yeah. palace in the first episode. Yeah. Um, it felt like there's some connection between the two or whether he built his palace around a tree like that. Um, we'll probably see more of that uh, in the future of the show. But I just thought it was interesting because it looked so similar when I, when I rewatched the episodes. So, gentlemen, I think we, we've kind of, we've discussed the four of them. So I think it's time to kind of just do a quick wrap up of how we felt about these first four episodes, the kind of how we felt about part one of The Witcher season one. Because I'm talking, I'm going to take my time and continue talking. Uh, so what I thought is I'm really happy with it. Um, I think the one thing I would, if I have to, I don't have to be harsh, but if I did have to be, um, critical, if you will, um, what I do find is that I think with the multiple timelines, they, they kind of went a bit too deep into it in that it's not until that I rewatched it for the first four episodes a second time. That I went, okay, now I see where you dropped a few hints there and there. But you don't, it, it takes four episodes, a good four hours, a good chunk of like, what's call it three and a half hours for, to, for, to really understand. Oh, okay. These are happening at different times. They, I, I understand what the, 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 the writers and directors were trying to do. What really what Lauren was doing, which was, I'm not going to drip feed you everything. Very much a, a, actually echoing to a degree of what we just went off, which is the Watchmen, which mm -hmm. is in, in kind of Damon's, um, wheelhouse, which is, I'm not going to give you all the answers straight away. Yeah. We're going to give you pacey questions. I, I think that, they haven't answered enough questions and posed us enough, uh, while posing additional questions, if that makes sense. That's what the Watchmen did very well, which is over the first four episodes, they answered questions, but gave you 10 more for every one they answered to a degree. So I think there's a slight difference there in that I think this multiple timelines, they could have given a few more hints and then potentially raised some additional questions, but overall, I really think they did, they've done a good job. I'm interested to see where season one goes, how it ends. Um, I, I'm happy with what they produced here because this isn't something that's, this is not an easy product to build, to write, to sell. Yeah. This is high fantasy. It has your elves, your witches, your warlocks, your magic, your knights, your, monsters your demons your royalty you've got your princesses your princes you've got all that stuff uh, and it's not as grounded in reality as a game of thrones is mm -hmm. well okay aside from the dragons but <laughs> game of thrones didn't have the elves and all the the kind of the magic and things like that it just had dragons um this does have all the extra things um so as a whole I'm really enjoying it. I just wish they had have been a bit more less stingy with the timeline piece because I think that's what put off a good few people, especially from me talking to people about these first four, especially yeah. 
Kelly, uh, like she watched, she fell out after two episodes because she just didn't enjoy it right. after two episodes. But I'm like, now that I've kind of teased her about what's happening, she goes, oh, that does sound interesting. Yeah. So anyway, that's how I feel. John, what about yourself? Um, I really enjoyed these first four episodes, to be honest. Um, I think, yeah, the timelines were a struggle and just the, the whole amount of information, um, because it's not a property that I've, um, delved into at all. But nonetheless, I think there was loads of intrigue here. I think some of it was fascinating. I really enjoyed Henry Cavill, uh, as Geralt. Mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, he, he's got a real, demeanor about him that works i think well for a loner person moving from town to town slaying monsters ultimately and who has a critical part in um the the shape and um developments in this world i i think he um you know he he's significantly skeptical about everyone including the bard and i like that kind of just lightheartedness i think the monsters and the fighting have been great yennefer absolutely uh just a great character here to to get onto and i think just her um path between episode two through to four has just been fascinating for me uh, and how she has ridden that Uh, and that's why i would give this four chamomile moisturized bodies out (laughs) of five um so yeah absolutely i loved it not understood everything being confused uh multiple times but you know uh hopefully uh that will also you know just checking a few things with you guys on this podcast but also um with just a little bit of reading around some of the episodes i've kind of come to understand how this has been done especially on the the timeline element of it so uh yeah i think this is a really interesting world uh that has has really gotten better as the episodes have gone on really so i'm looking forward to episode five for sure uh derek what is your overall impression of the witcher so far um I'm liking it in general. Um, I'm trying to work out where we got to this place. I've kind of bemoaned in the past how people watch TV differently than I do. <laughs> and we're all different people. We all watch things in a different way. But it's weird now, nowadays when there's this kind of let's live tweet every episode until we get to the end of a series. Um, I think that's where a lot of the pressure comes on um, opinions for a show. You know, if you're going to give over only one hour of your life to a show like this. And then by the end of it go, well, I didn't understand anything in that episode. So I'm giving up on the series. <laughs> you know, you're a different television viewer than I am. Um, the first three episodes of the show felt like a fantasy show with cursing and naked ladies in it. <laughs> and that's kind of what I was expecting from the show. It didn't, it didn't feel like anything more than that. Um, with some creatures, you know, different to what we saw in game of Thrones, different to some the other shows that we've watched but it felt like a fantasy world where a guy was getting paid to go around and kill monsters. All I was expecting. It was episode four, the twist in it showing that it was different timelines and these people existing in different periods that actually made it a better show for me. It didn't make me understand the series more. It made me go, oh, you should have been looking in all the other corners that were going on so you could have understood the world a bit more. But I didn't mind because I don't expect to go into any show with a brand new with a brand new cast of characters that I've never heard anything about, knowing everything about them by the end of the episode. Hell, that's EastEnders or Coronation Street or One Life to Live. That's a soap opera that you know everything about all the characters after one hour of a show. 
I don't need to know that. I need to know that this is a world that I want to watch the characters in for the series. By the end of the fourth episode, I do want to watch the characters in the series. And now I want to know what's going to happen to them in the future. It wasn't much more than the standard concept of a fantasy show for me after the first episode. Um, but by the end of the fourth episode, it certainly is. So certainly liking. I'm glad, uh, Chris, you did, you made the decision to split this up into the two episodes at this point. I'm glad that you made the decision to do it right here. Uh, Cause I don't think I would have really enjoyed going through episode by episode. Um, having not watched ahead um, this time, but because uh, I do think as a whole so far, it's it's answered some of the things I had particular problems with uh, within the first episode. The treatment of some of the characters gets explained better. Um, I particularly love the idea of having uh, the lioness in episode four explain that most of her life having to live up to male tradition and just carry on the traditions that men have imposed on our world, that really pisses her off. I love that we have this character calling that kind of crap out uh, in this episode because it's saying to you, this isn't the show you think it is from your opening moments. This is going to be something different. This is going to be something new. So uh, I'm really glad that we have those moments and, and having them actually appear on screen after the four episodes does kind of make the show better for me. So I'm really glad that we've done it this way. Yeah, I think I think it, it was a good choice, but I, I'm right there with you in terms of I could not have, I couldn't have done an episode by episode on this. I, I don't think I would have in, enjoyed it as anyway as much i did mention a little bit earlier on in the show we've talked about many shows that get all episodes of their season dropped in one day to binge as much as as fast or as slow as you want and we've always kind of said nobody's really nailed the method of doing that why they're doing it why are you putting out an entire series of a show 10 episodes long in a day or 20 episodes long in a day why aren't you doing a movie a week or whatever way you do it i think this show is saying to you, watch it all and then make your decision. And by having all the episodes available, then that allows you to do that. So uh, so I think this has nailed something that a lot of shows haven't been able to do in the past. Why would I watch this show? Well, it's a massive world. You need to know all this information, but we can't just do an information dump at the start of episode one. So watch all eight episodes and then you'll know much more about the world. And if you like it, then we have a season two coming on its way. So Excellent. So there you have it. Those were our thoughts on the first four episodes of the witcher but if you want to send us your thoughts for the second half or the season as a whole you can send us your thoughts at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or jane join us on our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash tvpodcastindustries where we will put up a secondary part two spoiler post we put one up for part one and we've gotten some amazing feedback so far. So thank you for that. We're going to go through it in one more second. But before we do, don't forget that you also can send your voice through the interwebs, through the, 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 the magic that is the internet, through podcast recording clips, if you want to call it magic. Uh, so you can head over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts. And we'll put it in part two of our recording of The Witcher. Or you can just email it to us so you can record a clip of yourself on your phone or your laptop and send it to us at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Mm-hmm. So, gentlemen, I think it's about time we jump over to Facebook and see what some of our fellow witchers thought about this episode, or the, yeah. these episodes, I should say. Yeah, our first piece of feedback came from Richard Blaze. Just says, okay, daft question. Do I need to have played the game before watching this show? <laughs> um, I don't think so. Um, I don't think it's necessary. In fact, I don't think the characters play out exactly the same way on the in the game as they play out in the show. So uh, I don't know whether it will add a huge amount, just that it's the same fantasy world, right, Chris? What would you think? 
Yeah, no. Um, so I did actually respond to Rich on this, and I did say, no, I don't think so. You'll have a better understanding um, of some of the parts or some of the lore, things like that. But no, I think this is a, this is a separate piece. Now, Lauren, the showrunner, has come out and said, this is based on the books. It's not based on the game um, because the game is an ad- adaptation of the books. So her view was to base it back completely on the books because she didn't want to be an adaptation of an adaptation of the books. So, the, no, I think if you want to and you've watched the whole thing, go ahead, enjoy it. Um, like The game is fantastic, and I will repeatedly say that. No, you do not have to have played the game to watch this. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, in fairness, it would be a massive uphill struggle if you made a television show that could only be played by people who played three games. I think three of them are on two different systems as well. I don't think you can get all three games on the PlayStation 4 or the Xbox. Um, so it would be almost impossible to say you have to have played all three games to want to watch this show. And also, most people don't make TV shows for only people who've read every single word of every book as well. So, um, so while it might allow you to understand some bits of the universe, hopefully the show will give us enough in the show itself um, for us. So I think that's what it's been accomplishing by episode four, at least. Yes. Uh, we then had a piece of feedback from Robert Phillips, Dr. Bob, who, when I put up a, a small gift to say, toss a coin to your Witcher, uh, he went, oh, Chris, maybe this is your chance to sing again on the podcast with Patreon instead of Plenty. And I did. I fulfilled <laughs> that promise because, yeah, no, I can't even do it. I'm like, I have the vocal the vocal cadence and chops of a bird being strangled by I don't know what. Yes, it reminded me of episode three with the Striga and Jennifer. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That That is, I am a Striga. It kind of reminded me of the bard in episode two, to be honest. Uh, but anyway, uh, Amy Fitzgerald-Jura says, So far, not a fan of this series, but if you guys feel it's good enough to discuss, I'm all in. I was thinking of reading the fir- the books first, but screw it. <laughs> excellent amy yes thanks so much amy that's really nice of you to follow along with this if you don't like the show i promise we're only doing this in two episodes so you can skip these two episodes of the podcast but thanks so much for for taking it on board and watching it uh because we said we we're going to watch it that's uh that's very nice of you yeah absolutely yeah robert phillips uh on episode one goes Overall, enjoyed the expanse of the story laid out without many answers and lots of hints as to what might be coming next. I like the way they played with some fantasy tropes, the mysterious murmuring if wizardry, the tavern and the stranger, but not struck on the misogyny that felt it was underlying the whole thing. Hmm. Interesting. Thanks, uh, Robert. Yeah, I I certainly do think that this world is in a world where um, the society is misogynistic absolutely well, yeah, yeah. um and i i think certainly in in episode one um i think uh you know there's not an awful lot uh, explained there but i think certainly i think elements of that do become further teased out and i certainly think that women generally in this world of the witcher um are in a fight uh, for for those things. It's one of the things in episode one that we didn't really discuss in terms of the mage having this prophecy that someone's going to be that a woman is going to be coming to kill him. He seems to use that as a method of killing any woman that's anywhere near him. Um, so that does kind of come across as misogynistic, but 
maybe the character is just misogynistic. You know, you can absolutely have that in the show as well. I thought that was quite interesting that he is being allowed to just say, oh, yeah, yeah, she was born under a certain sign. Therefore, she gets killed and slaughtered. Um, I thought Renfrey was one of the most interesting characters in the show. It was a real shame when she was gone in the first episode. I thought she was a really good challenging character to have beside Geralt I'd love to have seen them maybe adventure together in the future potentially I think Geralt also would have liked to be adventuring with her in the future too yeah absolutely I, I thought that was a, an interesting little peek into a potential relationship there mm-hmm. of the Witcher and Renfri Robert continues with I also wasn't overly keen on the obsession in episode one with mutation and failure or evilness or being outcasted there's enough discrimination through difference in the world without making it there in, in fantasy. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I think um, in, in many respects, though, I, I do think it's uh, fantasy it is born from the uh, the reality, unfortunately. Um, you know, if you think of Tolkien and the First World War uh, or industrialization, mm. that's what his starting point from his perspective was. Um, I again, I've not read the books. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't know the author, but certainly, um, whilst fantasy is um, separate, a bit like sci-fi from maybe a, a normal fiction novel, it normally the best ones do uh, come from uh, tackling themes that are happening in the present day and putting it in a new dimension through a different world of fantasy or science fiction. Yeah. Yeah, and I think one of the things that is always known with fantasy is it starts with the tropes. I think I mentioned that earlier on. So it starts with those basic tropes and hopefully we'll take them in a different direction as it goes on. Yes, absolutely. I I can't agree with what you said. Yeah, so uh, thank you so much, uh, Bob, for your episode one feedback. Although I do believe you've got some episode two feedback as well. Yes, I might as well take that just to keep with the flow. Yes. Yes. Uh, Robert on episode two goes, the bard is quite an offset to the not so subtle theme of how disfigurement and disability are to be overcome. The mute boy and the girl with scoliosis and facial asymmetry, the servant with a chondroplasia who gave up the boots, the withered hand almost got me to stop watching. Only the pretty are heroic. But Geralt does allow us to see through this. He doesn't kill the goat man. He acknowledges the ethnic cleansing the elves have suffered. The rectoress turns the beauties into eels. Istred appears to fall for Yennefer. Maybe perfections are not all they are proposed to be. Still, do we really need another hunky white bloke to save the day for the unfortunate? Is he a saviour or an ally? Uh, Well, I think that's the... um, I mean, for me personally, uh, a hunky white bloke um or just a hunky bloke actually like henry cavill that's good to see uh but certainly yes i mean i think uh you know i i I just don't know as such where or how this goes till the end of episode eight so um i think i think henry cavill also is a bit of an outsider as well i think uh you know he, he is a special type of species in a world where humans also distrust him so i don't it's it's not someone as such who's coming from a place of privilege um he is eking his way through to to build up coin to have a living uh despite most people effectively resenting him unless they need to use him to destroy a monster Mm -hmm. in which case he has the the perfect skill set so i i think um I'm not too sure he is that hunky white bloke of, say, um, you know, I don't know, 
some other uh, films or TV that come to save the day, even though he is a hunky white bloke um, in physical form. Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that is interesting that John mentioned right at the beginning of the podcast, this whole story generally is told from the perspective of Geralt. What's interesting here is we have three main characters, two of them female, one in Siri and one in Yennefer, both telling completely different stories. And those two characters are not being saved by Geralt. They're doing their own thing and not being saved by anybody else. They're they're moving through their stories under their own power. They're not being uh, guided and not being saved constantly. So what they effectively have done with a female showrunner, it seems, is created a show around a cast of characters rather than it just being centered on this one person going through saving people. <laughs> effectively, so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The one, the one thing I will say is very much that, but again, I, I, I'm slightly... I have the burden of uh, external knowledge, um, but the, the character of Siri and Jennifer and Triss and the the books of The Witcher, the the source material, the games, has always had a very strong female presence, a very strong female characters. Um, so Jennifer herself is more than a match for Geralt. Geralt does not say for all time. It happens the other way. Siri is the same. Um, so there is very much a, a strong female power behind this. Yes, Geralt is the big, hulking, muscular Henry Cavill. Um, mm. but he is the knight, but he's not the knight in shining armor, if you understand what I mean. He's not the one who comes in to save the day. Yeah. Yeah. He is the, the knight who, uh, saves villages but not the the damsel in distress. Yeah. And it's also an adaptation. You couldn't really do the show without having Geralt at the center of it. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay, yes. An odd thing. Um, otherwise, you might as well create a brand new fantasy show, I suppose. Um, we also got some feedback in from Phil Elliott, who says, great series, really enjoyed it, although the jumping back and forward in time is slightly confusing, but does add extra to the game series. Makes you want to play all the games again. <laughs> Excellent stuff. Well, we need to play the games. We do, we do. Uh, Zeynep Aragbradur says, watch the whole series as well. I like the use of disorienting timelines and stories coming full circle and no one being fully good or fully evil yeah good stuff i think these things slightly change around in the series as well you know you see him save the the princess in episode three you see him stand up for hedgehog knight in um in episode four Mm -hmm. and of course these are all playing out at different times um so i I think it'll be interesting how the disorientating timelines and stories maybe just how they do focus ultimately in the end yeah absolutely yes i will quickly interlude at this point to say um witchernetflix.com um has just been sent to me um essentially uh, i have i've been told what it is so i'm not going into it mm-hmm. um it is a, a map and timeline yes of the season <laughs> one So for those of you who have uh, watched the full season, jump into it. It will explain everything, where everything is happening and when it is all happening. Um, But for those who haven't, when we have watched the the remaining four episodes, uh, we will uh, use that at the end when we're discussing and we'll also see how... (laughs) 
we thought that came together. It, ca- it came in the other day uh, after it's been out. Obviously, the show's been out for about 20, 30 days now. Uh, it came in the other day, and I just closed my eyes instantly. All I saw was the headline, and it spoiled something for me. So uh, do not look at it if you have yes. not seen the rest of the uh, the episodes. Um, continuing on with his discussion about uh, the episodes, Robert Phillips says, Episode 3, this one with its central themes of lack of choice over parenthood, or maybe motherhood in particular, also got me a bit cross. I was already a bit annoyed by the beauty myth that was being handled by the storyline. But then when it became an exchange between beauty and motherhood, I started to growl a bit. After these very frequently repeated myth of brother, sister, incestuous rapes in a form of misunderstood romantic love, and it really took some effort to get to the end of this episode, I do hope the writers unpick some of these irritations. Interesting perspective on the episode, Bob. I think I saw it the exact opposite way for a lot of the episodes uh, in there. Uh, we've talked talked about it quite heavily throughout the show itself, you know, that, that they are taking some of the major tropes. And I do think they are uh, f- flipping on them quite a bit uh, throughout the show, particularly, as, as you mentioned, the beauty myth. Uh, I don't think it's a myth that people see a beautiful person walking in the room and they do tend to control things a lot. I like the idea that Yennefer as a character is taking that as a power for herself. Um, that's quite and cool. I don't think, you know, the show is not saying that focusing purely on beauty um, is right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in episode four, you see the realization that does, what she had to do in episode three to become beautiful, to gain this position. And in the end, while she thought it was giving her power, she's ended up being a dog's body for uh, the men because they are misogynistic. Um, they, they, and that is inherent. And I suspect her view is that now the power that she must seek is for one of, um, like change beyond changing herself exactly um, yeah. so it'll be interesting yeah final bit of feedback comes from uh rob phillips as well who had this to say about episode four took me a bit of time to realize that time wasn't linear and initially quite confused but there's a clearing of the dodgier parts from the beginning with the structural misogyny still strong but many of the female characters refuting it in varied ways mm-hmm. one question still hangs with me though just how friendly would you have to be to let someone rub chamomile into your lovely bottom, do you think? <laughs> well, we've answered that question. Yeah. So we've discussed that one. And I think, yeah, as as we've kind of said throughout this, by the end of episode four, a lot of the, the, the tropes you are being refuted um, and challenged in different ways. Yeah. Um, I think, as Derek put it best, you need to start with some of these tropes and then work your way from there. Yeah, I think the point is, you know, this is the world the characters live in and you want to see how they navigate that world and how they deal with the things that are going on in that world. Whatever those pressures and whatever those ideals are that are being upheld by other characters in there, what you want to see is the characters that you're following um, and how they're dealing with them. So I think by the end of episode four, we've now seen quite a significant amount of all of these characters. And hopefully over the rest of the show, we'll see some, you know, payback potentially for some of the more gruesome things that have happened in this world that we've only heard spoken about, like the ethnic cleansing of the elves. Potentially we'll see the payback for that happening in the future. There's some intriguing things that I hope are going to play out as the show goes on, uh, whether it be this season or next season. So uh, yeah, some really good stuff, but thanks so much for putting feedback in for each of the episodes, Bob. Um, that's yeah, really absolutely. I know you you usually follow along with us when we do our episode by episode discussions. So uh, it must have been intriguing for you to watch all four episodes over the course of a day and a half uh, when we, <laughs> after we announced it and send in your feedback. So thanks so much once again, Bob. Yes, thank you so much, everyone, for sending in the feedback. And don't forget, we'll put up a post in the coming days with the part two, the 
episodes five, six, seven, eight for your feedback there. Mm-hmm. And we'd love to hear from everyone. Yes, we'll be recording our second part of our Witcher podcast next week on the 19th of January. So make sure you get your feedback in by the 18th and we'll hopefully be able to talk about it in the next episode, our final episode of The Witcher. Yes, but then we have some interesting stuff coming up in 2020. Most importantly, for those Trekkies out there, we are going to be recording our podcast on Picard from the 25th of January. Yes, mm-hmm. it will be a weekly drop on CBS and Amazon Prime. Um, so it's going to be an interest. So we're doing a weekly drop on that. And we look forward to you checking us out and following along with us there. But in order to do that, you must subscribe uh, to all of the Nilfgaardian or... Oh my God, I forgot the name. Or Witcher. Yeah, you can be Nilfgaardian. You can be a Witcher. You can be an Elf. Whatever. Wherever you subscribe to your podcast, whatever type of affiliated podcast catcher you listen to or use. Or you could just head over to tvpodcastindustries.com where we link to everything there. But you can also toss a coin to your pa- to your Witcher, to your podcaster, Ovalio Patreon. Ovalio Patreon. Yes, and as a thank you for the Patreon, you'll be getting these Witcher episodes a couple of days early. And, of course, you'll be getting our ever thanks and our love. And just, we'll call it, we'll shout you out. You'll be helping us by keeping our podcast servers up. Uh, we love doing this. We love having you about. You can't afford to toss us a dollar. Toss a coin to your podcaster. That's okay. And we understand. So just sharing the podcast is also sharing the love. Absolutely. Thanks so much for joining us for this mega massive spoiler filled episode of the Witcher part one. We'll be back with Witcher part two next week. Uh, really looking forward to seeing how this series pays out and the series plays off before going into space with Star Trek Picard. Have I said I'm going to see the premiere of that next week? No, you haven't. No, you haven't. Mm. Yes. I'm flying over to the UK to see the premiere of Star Trek Picard in Leicester Square, where they do the premieres of, like, Star Wars and stuff. <laughs> That's really exciting. It'll really be excellent that. stuff. Yeah. Get to see it about a week before um, it comes out on uh, on Amazon Prime and on CBS All Access in the US. So very excited to see what's, what it's going to be like. Um, one of my favorite sci-fi characters of all time, really, Captain Picard, doing the Picard maneuver right now as I adjust my shirt. Very good uh, stuff. Yes. Looking yeah. forward to it. Um, thanks so much for joining us. We'll talk to you again really soon. Yeah, as always, fellow witches, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure. And remember, keep witching, keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. She sees the Sintron flags on the horizon and goes straight for them. And then she feels like she's going to be uh, saved by them effectively. But we find out that the Niflar, Niflars, Niflars, Niflar, Nilfgaards, Niflams, Nilfgaardians. But we find out that the Nilfgaardians, Nilfgaardians? Yeah, that's Nilfgaardians. I have to write it on every fucking page.